Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps. And for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 164 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on April 12th, 2019, over on twitch.tv slash Chat. As always, I want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at a man with no name. I keep, keep getting that, keep tripping me up because it used to be the man with no name. It got updated to a man with no name. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only green-eyed music lover. Green, hope you're doing well. How's the week treated you so far? It has been an interesting one. Um, we got more of the house done. My office is almost absolutely completed. I have new soundboards that we made up, and things are looking pretty good here. Snow snow is pretty much done for the time being. So yeah, it's it's not been too bad. That's good. How about everybody else? <laughs> that, I, don't, and... I never know I never know how to segue out of this because it's just like Yeah, things were great. And this is awkward. All right, all right, <laughs> Han Solo, calm down there. I'll just ask you how you're doing from the detention center. Oh man, we're we're doing we're fine, doing fine. fine. We're, Every, we're doing fine. Everything's fine. We're good. Just a malfunction with the lasers I mean, there. We're we're the fine fire, though. Don't worry about fire. sending anybody. How are you? The fire wasn't that bad. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have <laughs> we have our good buddy, the Lord Content Cop himself, Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing? oh goodness that's my comment yes yep that's that's all it is that's all i mean we don't we don't need anything else right like yeah Yeah. just a wookie just more chewy bear at this point wookie bear (laughs) i don't i don't know anyway i'm good i'm still you could be an ewok yeah (laughs) no what's an ewok what why why are we why are we bringing up ewoks they're adorable they might be adorable but they have no place in the star wars universe you stop Um, i i refuse to think that the empire was taken down by sticks and stones i refuse to think this way I love that Green is literally just resorted to jumped up. Yup, 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 yup. Oh my god! So, uh, so to get us out of 
to get us out of this, this yes, mess. Yes, please, because apparently this is like the Star Wars celebration that won't end. It's sort of like the song that won't end anymore. Yeah, it's like, man, did you did you get to go back in time when they announced the single-player game with no microtransactions? Oh, my god! Yeah, I know. Like, oh, my God, that sounds like it's something totally from 2009. <laughs> like, I can't even believe that we're 10 years later and, and this game is still playing the way that it is. It's like Respawn Entertainment has their host company buy a certain part of anatomy, in which case they are basically telling them, we're going to show you how games are actually made because you keep screwing it up. So, Green, I know you had a question for the community. Uh, yeah. Um, um, let me, let me, let me settle that. Uh, gosh, dang. How do you follow a Star Wars thing? Like, I mean, good Lord. This is quite the day. Um, okay. So this week's question was, it's more of like an RP question. I asked the community, you just got resurrected as a guardian and your ghost asks you, what name do you choose for yourself? What do you do? And we had a few different people. It was kind of a lower, lower answered one. I, I figured it would be just because it's a little bit more uh, engaging because not everybody interacts with their character in the same way. Sure. But a few people were very um, amusing. I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, Worthy D was like Tim. <laughs> Some people, Tim. they call me They call Tim. me Tim. And there was like Bob and a bunch of Tim, other ones. There we go. Tim the Toolman Taylor? No, yes, Tim the Wizard. Tim the Wizard. Tim the Wizard? And, yeah, Blue Blue responded with, I think it was the, <laughs> the gift that was. Yeah, it's uh-huh. Tim the Wizard from Monty Python. Mm-hmm. He's got a freaking yeah. rocket launcher staff. Yeah, it's flame-throwing rocket launching staff. It's just ridiculous. Uh, chatting Myth. Uh, which is our friend uh, Demi, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. He put, knowing me, I probably would resurrect with a book and or journal on my person. With that said, today my name would be Anakin or Sir Duncan the Tall. Uni uh, was like, if I was awakened with a similar situation in D1, it would be something like Welshite or what the hell. And then his wife popped in and said, shut, shut the, the front door. door. Shut the front door. Which I, I I guess I want to ask you two. Like if you woke up, would you respond to your ghost? Like what would you tell your ghost your name is? Because technically you don't remember your name. At least most people don't unless they have something on their person like that, like Anna Bray or like what Demi was mentioning. Mm-hmm. But that's what actually, would you have that's actually you like something that I've always I've actually bounced around in my head too, is like I, I guess my, my confusion on that front is ultimately the the separation between memories like mm-hmm. my under my understanding of how memories work it's not something that's cut nicely and cleanly like i can't remember your you can't remember your past life but you conveniently can remember all the syntax and conversational norms of humanity well, to the degree that you can name yourself within 30 seconds of being for all intents and purposes reborn like right, and the, we're going to get into segregate. some of that aspect, yeah, too. Yeah, right, right, and, like, the segregate, but, I mean, like, so that's where, like, for me personally, it's always been kind of like a, a head-scratcher because it's, like, what what is there that allows you to identify 
yourself or another as a specific individual because with the progression of psychology and progression of psychological identity that is not something that is like compartmentalized so cleanly Mm -hmm. so i mean it's just yeah i mean and and to be fair there's there's a lot of indications too that sometimes it's not the guardian that names it it's the ghost and other times you know there are there are times where but I mean, it's just it's like the the few instances that we do see with with not not with the except or with the exception of those who have like names that are based on things around them. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like they identify with the world that they're in, but they don't have any memory of it, which to me is a very weird, nuanced way of explaining memory. And given mm-hmm. that that's a very big component of a guardian, like to me, that's just a a really intriguing thought puzzle is like how do you how do you remember all the nuances of language and the ability to identify individual unique structures within the world around you but that you have no memory of anything like you know it's it's kind of that nature versus nurture thing it's you, right lang- language language in and of itself is not a um it's it's not a natural thing uh the the concept of language like communication is a natural thing but Language as we know it is not a natural thing. You have to be taught language. Uh, you have to be taught how to say certain things. You know, if you don't believe me, go hang out with a group of five-year-olds and listen to them trying to pluralize things that don't need to be plural. I mean, like, it's very, mm-hmm. it's it's innocent and it's not, It's but it's it's also indicative of the fact that language as a abstract construct is not a a natural occurring like a natural occurring event you have to be instructed and that's why you know when kids are or when kids are little that's why it's so easy to teach them additional languages because their brains are still malleable in that regard that they are able to pick up very quickly the different you know denotations of certain events whereas as you go down the road in years of life your your part that particular uh, creation of synapses don't really respond as quickly uh, to that front, which is why a lot of times it's it's more difficult to learn languages. So it's and like you know, and I see chats mentioning the exos. Like that's that's kind of where the exos. I I do see an exo character as being able to identify their their ID, um, for lack of a better word, their unit identification. It seems like they are able to do that a little bit better, at least. But yeah, I mean, I'm it's going to say like guardians as a whole seem like they're in a lot of ways like a basic computer program that require a bit of input that then builds off of that input. Right. Uh, that's where, at least in my mind, from the stuff that we especially know from uh, Ecdysis and Dust and whatnot, uh, both of those actually seem to point towards further ideas of that, I think. Um, but to answer yeah, Green's question, I think I would just be named Marvin. Marvin, like the Martian. Yeah, I was thinking that, or like you know, Marvin, you know, Chuck Berry's cousin. Anyway, I am flabbergasted. Um, I, uh, I don't. Um, I, I, um, not quite a Disney <laughs> reference, but no. no. But I don't know how to recover after that, so... I, I mean, we could just ramp this thing up to 88 miles an hour and keep uh, moving on. Yeah, let's do that. So, um, yeah, my own Guardian, I have gone through, and it's 
nothing nearly as I would say thoughtful as Beard or Blues. My character on almost all of of Skyrim and everything else is either named Fedra or Cree. And so this character I'm on right now is Fedra. My hunter is Fedra. My Titan is Cree. But where's Jocelyn? I think it's funny. I forgot you read those. I forgot you read those. Let's be let's be honest here. The the only one that gave a really thoughtful answer was Blue. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, Beard Beard did give a thoughtful answer. His was just a really quick thought. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, screwball. Marvin Barry. It's a Back to the Future joke. It's it's a terrible commentary though. It's a it's a terrible Back to the Future joke, but it's also hysterical. It is pretty funny because it's effectively where Chuck Berry gets the idea for Johnny Be Good is because Marty is playing the song at a high school dance. That's the idea behind it, which paradox. Yep, I'm gonna say good old fashioned paradox. Mar- Marty is his own grandfather complex. However, it's in music, not in being anyway. The actual physical father. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You get it. You, you, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'm really good about just explaining the things that are really not needing to be explained. So let's move on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're off to a great start. Oh. Um, <laughs> So let's run through the standard intro notes and then we'll get right into it. In our last episode of Focus Fire Chat, we discussed ghosts and their guardians. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to rate and, if you can, leave us a written review on either iTunes or comment on the episodes on Podbean or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews are extremely helpful as they not only let us know what we can do better, but help continue to expand the FFC family, which allows more and more perspectives to be heard. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a gathering place where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within game lore, with a special focus on the Destiny universe. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday, at around 10pm Central, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. This will also be the new home for the Focus Fire Chat episode note archives and articles going forward. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on the lore book for Every Rose a Thorn. However, as always, please be sure to weigh in on the poll this weekend to let us know which topic you want to discuss after that. Links to that poll can be found on either Twitter, at FocusFireChat, or within our Discord server. Before we jump into the information and thoughts that the community had about a man with no name, however, let's have a quick chat about this week's Lost Lore.
Uh, for for Lost Lord this week, what I was thinking about talking about was uh, something that Green and I had kind of mentioned back and forth in our in our chats. But um, something that's kind of the, the best way to explain it is uh, it's a phenomenon, basically, that's like the mask you wear. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is something that we see a lot with the drifter uh, in, in particular. Insofar as if you wear a mask for long enough, that mask will become a part of you. Uh, it's it's the age old, you know, thought of you know, fake it until you make it kind of concept. Is after a while, what you pretend will actually, in a way, become real to you at least. And so, what you see, what we see as we go through, especially this particular lore book, is the drifter has. He is a he is a man with no name. He he never we never get to hear uh, what he calls we, himself. Like he he, he mean, calls well. I mean, I guess we hear what he we hear, we hear what other people call him. Right. He gives names freely. He changes masks very frequently. But the thing to also keep in mind is again, every mask is indicative of the person wearing it. There is a a glimmer of something. Um, true behind those things because otherwise they wouldn't be as as adhered to the these characters as as we see them being uh especially with the i mean especially the germane figure that drifter crafts here in this book is something that does actually impact him because he mentions events from the germane story arc that we're going to discuss in current day destiny which you know is significantly a long time after what happened here in this book. Right. Uh, the, the, right. the story arc for this book takes place uh, really predominantly in the Dark Age, early Dark Age to the late Dark Age. We're not really sure that there is a transition of time. We aren't very, it's not very clear how long of a time this is covered because again, with the Drifter being risen, time is not really a construct that most of these Guardians pay attention to really. Um mm-hmm. And and so, but it is something that is taking place during the war between the Iron Lords and the Warlords. Um, we don't really know, and, and I, I really appreciate the fact that there is a large confusion on what side's the best side. Um, mm-hmm. You see that even in the the Wu Ming arc, as, as I've come to call it. And Drifter from the very get-go we'll see is already kind of introduced into a world that is unfair towards anybody who doesn't have this power and Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't like that actually and that's that's an interesting caveat of his character is he actually does seem to care for those who are under or, or underfoot for this whole massive uh, between between this titan maki that is going on between these these demigods basically drifter is the one that's in the mud with the humans he's the one that's in the mud with the mortal creatures of this world and he's even he's even to the point he's he's pretending to be one of them he doesn't want to be arisen it seems like and you you'll see that again especially when we get into that germane story arc you see how how deeply he has integrated himself into a into a human colony to the point that the way it's written there's almost it's almost hard to tell which one of the characters that's being talked about is actually the drifter up until the very end um and it, it's just it to me it just is very again very very telling that 
it this is part of the catalyst that or catalyst that causes the drifter to leave to search for that weapon to end the war between those who bear the light which is mm-hmm. what leads him to the whole monolith situation and eventually will even even to a degree lead him into what we're learning about with the invitations of the nine uh, which was i believe that was last weekend was it the was. the tidbit the coins. about mm-hmm, the coins and then the comment about he he hates violence but he will kill anybody who for, who tries to force him into it like it's it's one of those like catch 22s he drifter is a character who abhors violence but doesn't doesn't really seem to balk from d- dishing it out to those who are threatening you know fill in the blank of who he has decided needs to be I, protected is a bit of a strong word because I don't really see him as a protector, but he is almost seeing he's almost like this really weird justice warrior, if that makes sense, which will I think will be more clear as we get in, especially into the Wu Ming arc. It becomes a little mm-hmm. bit clearer. Mm-hmm. But that's that was kind of just the I, I, that was a conversation again that Green and I were having. Especially about like the mask that Drifter wears and like how he he so seem like he 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 almost seems to effortlessly be a chameleon as far as the personality goes. But if you look at each if you look at the each of these figures, especially the three the three that we'll talk about here, which is pretty much there's there's the nameless arc is the, what I kind of call it the Germain arc and then the Wu Ming arc. And if you look at the underlying uh, like theme of what the the character is trying to do in these arcs there is a common thread between them all and that common thread is really kind of he is in a way kind of a pacifist he i mean he's he's not a pacifist but he is searching for he's an opportunist he he is an opportunist and he is he is not by any stretch of the imagination a necessarily honorable or good person but the way but I, I would also encourage you to really if you read these books, read very carefully the difference with how he treats risen and how he treats mortals. Because it mm-hmm. is, there is there is a vast difference there. Um and I think that's I think for for me especially when I was reading it, that stood out that that stood out really very clearly. Um and I think that also ties into the comments that he makes within the Thorn Quest about the Praxic Order, because he he assumes that uh Anor, when she was attacking the shadows, had axed, had done collateral damage against humans, and that really kind of seemed to anger him. Mm-hmm. And and it was like it was again, you know, both sides both sides in that situation you know, I know Beard and I have gone back and forth about this, but both sides of that situation had information being presented to them that wasn't entirely accurate. And so it was more interesting to me to see how each side uh, reacted to the clarifications as it got, you know, kind of clarified through the through the quest. You see Anor and the Praxix backing off because they recognize that the Drifter is not this evil monster that they initially thought. They're not necessarily they're not necessarily happy with him, which I mean, that's understandable. And then you also kind of see Drifter also. I mean, I wouldn't say Drifter kind of really changes much but he lessens his um venom i guess you would say towards them as well and i think that's again just kind of indicative of both sides of them learning more about what the situation is actually happening but yeah i I think that to me is a a, again that was where i was kind of thinking we could go with the lost lore it's also kind of a good semi-introduction to 
this particular book. Um, and I know Green is trying to set us up to read the uh, the hmm. first book, uh, which the first is yes. which is well, uh, Heaven or Hell. But Beard, did you have anything you we, want to throw in there? Yeah, before we jump too far, Shaggy Games is asking: so Are we saying uh, the Drifter is some sort of anti-hero? No. Mm-mm. I I wouldn't go that far whatsoever. I wouldn't say that he's an anti-hero. I wouldn't say he's a hero. Uh, I would say that he walks the thin line. And you, we're, we're starting to, again, with this entire, I think, annual pass season that's been presented to us as a whole, uh, we're starting to see more bits and pieces of this thin line uh, that were only showcasing themselves, like, over time. Drifter is the epitome of that thin line. He's what we get in the game that pretty well showcases that as, like, a, a general whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are many other characters that otherwise really skirt, like, what side is dark and light and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, and it isn't just about, like, utilizing the dark's power or utilizing the light's power or walking in the middle. The Bungie writers in general have been playing this game uh, perspective for so long that it really does come down to your perspective of events that ends up changing how you can interpret something very quickly. And I know I'm kind of tangenting here a little bit, but overall, the the major point to uh, kind of showcase... I mean, nothing new with me in tangents. What am I talking about? Uh the major point, though, to kind of think about is the ideas of perspective and like how Drifter sees something, how Honor sees something, how Ikora sees something that the two of them did or either one of them did. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of things that you have to kind of consider is the person's perspective and how that would weigh towards decisions over time. Uh, we also see that, though, with other characters that kind of line in with it that I know we're going to talk about here, I think, this week and already kind of have with, like, Shin Malfur and so on. Uh, these are just other characters that have walked that thin line. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at at this point is seeing what that thin line realistically is. It's why I think they had Aldrin do the line that he did in the uh, Forsaken the line. campaign. Mm-hmm. The line between light and dark is so very thin. Which side are you on? It doesn't matter that, the we- that we wield the light. The proof is in the pudding in our actions, not in what we have. I agree. I like how... And we saw this with the last lore update or like the time before lore update with Shin understands Drifter. Yeah. He talks about how he, they're basically in a lot of ways walking a very similar path. Now granted they're going from about it from two different angles, but they're both utilizing both light and dark. Perspective is important. Yep. Yep. And what you do with it is just as important. Blue and beard. Would you do us the honors of starting out this book? A man with no name. Mm. By right, reading Blue. Heaven or Hell, I'll let you choose who is who. <laughs> what do you want, Blue? <laughs> uh, I can be the ghost. Okay, I was going to say I can be the drifter, so I think <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go from there. <clears throat> you get uh, you get first dibs with that. Yeah, I was about to say it with the opening line. <clears throat> For the breadth of my formative years, I had one goal. Find my, well, we all have our own word for them. My chosen and every moment thereafter was dedicated to keeping him alive, whether he liked it or not. They were turbulent times before the last city, before humanity found hope for the future. I was prepared to kill for it. 
die for it. He opened his eyes in the night air and took an even breath. He wasn't sure how long he'd been asleep, but his immediate instinct was to... Run. He froze. The voice wasn't his. You have to run. The man stood up in the evening light. He looked down at himself and saw that someone had dressed him in his own, dressed him for his own funeral. He didn't laugh, but he thought it was funny. The voice continued. Can you hear me? Risen fight for territory in these highlands. We have to move. Uh, for the first time, he noticed a small drone buzzing in the air around him, a blazing eye at its center glowing like a blue sun. It jerked its frame to the left, indicating the light of a faraway set settlement. Head west. I have friends there. They'll help us. The man stared at the drone, frowned, and ran the opposite direction. What? Hey! The voice cried out behind him. He fled into the darkness, tall grass on either side of him flying past. The only thing he could hear was his own breathing and the loud crush of the vegetation he trampled. He was surprised at how fast he was moving. The voice called to him again, far behind him. He heard the roar of the machine before he saw it, and he didn't feel a thing as it exploded out of tall grass to the right and landed on him, crushing him beneath its bulk. He opened his eyes in the night and took an even breath. You died. The drone explained, hovering over him. It was smeared with a dark, filmy paste. I brought you back. He stood up and looked down at himself. Same clothes, nothing hurt. The hulking wreck of the machine that had killed him sat in pieces a few meters away. Inside, a dark, sooty crater. The body of an armored man laid sprawled over the smoking open-air open cockpit, his helmet punctured by a small hole about the size of the drone. Are you ready to listen? Let me take you to my friends. It said. This region is full of raiders like this man, led by Risen, like you. We've got a lot of catching up to do. What the hell are you? The man spoke for the first time. I'm your ghost. My only purpose is to support you. The drone replied. You work for me? In a manner of speaking, yes. Is this the afterlife? In a manner of speaking. The drone said, nodding at the western lights once more. Can we go? Not that way. The man headed in the opposite direction. The drone watched him trample the high grass and disappear. It stared up at the massive, disfigured orb that dominated the sky, then made a small adjustment to the orbit pattern in its modular armor. It hurried after the man. So can I just say first, before we get too far, um, mm -hmm. I find it funny that they named this entry Heaven or Hell. Uh, first, a couple reasons behind that, actually. The first actually comes back to the emissary, because mm -hmm. she actually says this line in particular uh, during the trials uh, the, uh, back when they were available in year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, uh, I, I think it is just the line of heaven or hell, and that's it. Uh, I equated this back to a uh, Guilty Gear uh, sign. If anybody's familiar with the uh, stupendous fighting game that is Guilty Gear. Uh, but they start out with the uh, heaven or hell round uh, duel one. Let's fight. Uh, <laughs> and I've always I've always liked that as like a, a segue for uh, for like how to start out a, a fighting game. Uh but to me, that's where I kind of always got the idea that it was like a game for them more than anything. Uh, anyway, slightly off topic on that angle. No. Secondly, comes into uh, how they kind of highlight uh, the two factors that are in this card. Uh, the heaven in some regard being like the ghost and then the hell being the uh, the drifter, but also kind of simultaneously showcasing the fact that like is this heaven or is this hell with the afterlife that's to come? 
uh, because as we're going to kind of find with the Drifter as a whole, there is something uh, that he very well sort of finds out as time goes by about the new gift that he's been given uh, as he's been resurrected. Uh, the other kind of cool thing that I like that they highlighted from this one, though, uh, they state how... Let's see if I can find it here real fast. Uh, he looked at himself and saw that someone had dressed him in his own fu- uh, for his own funeral. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the Drifter's uh, clothing right now in game, this is absolutely absolutely the case. Still, uh, he's actually wearing a yukata, and this yukata, uh, dressed as it is, uh, off to the uh, I believe it is more to the to the right, uh, means that you are supposed to look down at yourself and know that you are dead. Uh, so Ooh, really? what Drifter is trying to do, yeah, if you, in ceremonial ideas of uh, oriental dressing and whatnot, uh, if you dress it to the left, I believe, it's uh, signifying that you are alive, you are well. Uh, that's actually why you'll generally see uh, the, uh, like, uh, Japanese clothes and whatnot. They are very ceremonial in how they're prepared, how they're put mm-hmm. together, etc., uh, in war times as well, uh, if you were just going for a meeting or something, they all have it put together the same way. That is on purpose. That is meant to be a matter to say that you are a living being and you are not getting ready for your own funeral. Uh, if you were to dress the opposite direction uh, and you were to go into battle in a lot of rites, uh, you were prepared to die. Like that was the Spartans, tonight we dine in hell, basically. Uh, so that's where the, the ideas kind of came from, which I think is what they're sort of showcasing here with this entry, which I think is really cool. Uh, but again, if you see a, uh, a person dressed like that or roped like that, uh, it's meant to effectively signify that the spirit is to look down at themselves and realize, oh, I am dead. But here's, of course, the drifter who might have followed those principles previously, might have understood what went into them previously. Uh, and now is looking at himself and has possibly no idea about like what's going on to on with like why he's dressed that way or whatnot, um, or that he's looking at himself and understands this is this is more of the interesting part because he knows that he's dressed for his own funeral. Mm-hmm. If he looks down at himself and knows that it's a funeral robing or a funeral dress, at that point means that he remembers that dress previously from his old life which is another instinctual piece that was carried with him via his ghost resurrection, which I think is super important to remember as time goes on. Uh, and into it, like stuff like uh, you work for me and other knowledge like that. To me, it sounds like he was in a very similar experience like the Yakuza in a way, mm-hmm. uh, or he could have had something that was very like criminal underworldish going on. Uh, so there are some extra pieces that could kind of be adhered to or pulled from from this. Uh, the the biggest thing, though, about his dress uh, is the fact that he hasn't changed it since the day that he kind of woke up, uh, which I think is very interesting in, in that regard. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a, a super interesting piece about uh, Drift, like, I still say this is one of the reasons that I find Drifter to be such an interesting character, is it even comes down to his clothing choice, uh, that ultimately he is he is built as this super deep and, and rather immersive character versus some of the other new ones that we've had, 
uh, and right down to like his character presentation outside of just his story, that is how far they went with him. Uh, That's the irony is he presents himself as such a, a, a washout one-off type character. Right. But he's got a lot more going on with him than what you initially see. Yep, but don't, meanwhile, don't that's judge the, the book by the cover. And that's and that's the whole joke of like his entire premise in a way. Like you you could almost think of him as the, like the comedian in a way from um from from the Watchmen. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There are points and pieces where he wants to be known and whatnot, but by the end of his life, he just basically <laughs> wants to like sit down and not think about anything. He doesn't want to be bothered. He doesn't want to be pulled into anything. And by the end of it, he just ends up thinking that life's all a joke, and it's mm-hmm. all a joke. Uh, and for him, uh, like he he has similar pieces to that. I'm not comparing him one to one, obviously, with the Watchmen's comedian, but like there are pieces. Yes, that I can see kind of, that. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's pieces that they kind of pulled from. I think with that character, which which are more like basic pieces for for character building, if you will. Uh, but in that respect, like it, he wants to not necessarily be acknowledged except for by the people that will help him get the job done, which mm-hmm. is very important as we kind of go through this book or even with what we know about him right now. Like, take everything that you know about the Drifter so far and how he works with specific people, how we have seen that with the uh, other notions of, like, some of the armor that's presented as well. Carry that further into what this book is all about, because this... Heaven or Hell kind of sets up the entire, uh, I think brilliantly, the entire book as we uh, go forward with this, uh, as Blue's kind of already said, the Germaine saga or arc and the Wu Ming arc as well. Because from here, it's just, as the kids say, it's all downhill from here. It's a lot of, the, a lot of personality. Lots of it. And it, from his dress to the way he speaks to what he does... It all has substance, and it all has meaning. And that's what I think is just so incredibly interesting uh, about the Drifter as a whole. So I could be alone in that, but that's that's me. I hadn't actually picked up on the, the dress aspect. I knew, like, the whole uh, Turner phrase of somebody dressed him for his own funeral type thing. I mm. always thought that was amusing, but I did not know anything about, what did you call it? The Yukata. The Yukata? Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, that that's new information. You don't, I, I don't expect to look at the clothing of our NPCs and see something like that. So that's super, super helpful to help clarify more of his his heritage in some respects. Well, and to to point it out too. Sorry, Green. Uh, there's no other character that has that, to my knowledge. Mm-mm. Like the only other one that could possibly like you, you look at Devrim, and mm-hmm. yes, you think that Devrim has like some very good. Uh, like heritage pieces behind him, of course. Uh, he's very proud of Trossland. He's very proud of the fact that his family has kind of uh, owned or been in that area for a very long time. They were around for that long, uh, eight generations and counting. Uh, and then you end up looking maybe at Hawthorne, who has the, the the weird poncho she does. Yes. But that's just more so for like her scouting. That's for her keeping her head down. Uh, there's nothing to my knowledge that really like fits the bill of why she would have that gear in a way. Uh, but the like other clothing choices that are present in there seem more indicative of either the character class that they are, like a warlock, a titan, etc. Those have meanings all in themselves. Same with mm-hmm. like the, the hunter cloaks and everything, as we kind of know, too. But that is what makes Drifter's garb 
so interesting is because it's him. Where so many others present themselves as organizations, Drifter presents himself more for himself. And that's mm -hmm. pretty well all that he is about in the end. He is, he is looking into it for himself and for trying to like bring things into like a a one for one example or like bring things into you guy hates violence so what is he trying to do he's trying to bring around a way to end violence and what's like, he to dressed try to in? bring understanding in a way he's dressed as if he's already dead exactly like and so he, for someone who hates violence that's really indicative too of what he sees as the entire point of it yep like that piece alone knowing at like i wasn't the one that that had just just like point of reference here because there is somebody that deserves to like be called out on this when when z brought up the fact to me that his yukata was dressed that way that opened up my eyes mm -hmm. to entirely what this character is about and the fact that like he is built the way that he is uh for a large purpose and i am just I, i'm blown away by the fact that they went this in depth with it which again kind of calls back to how the writers are working right now, how character development is working right now, uh, and what they're attempting to showcase to us as time goes by. Like, even clothing, basic clothing choices in a way need to be thought about in how they are pr uh, presented to us and how it's all put together. And for well, the drifter that's, especially, that's super important. Yeah, and that's also, and you can see that also with Anna Bray. Uh, and, yeah. the, and the reference to Saint Fourteen with the same logo that that's has been true. that has been bugging like a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because like true. that's that's the that, I'll be honest. That's immediately where my mind went when you started explaining the yukata and like the the hidden kind of message there is like yep. you know you hit you do have uh, you have to look at them really closely, but you do have a lot of characters that have that kind of. Those kind of things. I mean, with uh, Haw uh, the other thing with Hawthorne that comes to mind is the tattoos. Yeah. Because we had, I had a conversation with, uh, uh, I just blanked on the guy's name, but we had a conversation with a guy at Guardian Con last year about what those tattoos mean. Because it's like, there is nowhere that those tattoos are explained, but they are very, you know, they're significant. The, the placement, the placement of tattoos is very significant. And she's got ta tattoos on her face. Like you don't get tattoos yep. on your face if you don't want, you know, it, there's a reason you do that. Um, Unless you're awoken. Well, but I mean, even then you could say, I mean, like for tribal it's purposes, right. it's like, yeah, it's, you know. It's more of a racial trait rather than a... I'm going to say, are those tattoos or, or as they say, are they maybe birth they're marks? born with it. Yeah. Maybe it's oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. true too. I always assumed that they were like war paint, but I mean, that's, that's very fair too. But I mean, like the thing too with Drifter, the other thing, you know, in Beard, I had, I put some questions that I had when I first read it um, was like, you know, first off the, the quote from the ghosts at the beginning, are, are we thinking that that is his ghost there's no clarification on it, but the next card, it's him talking, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Or it's like, it's uh, yeah, a two-card pretty... sound. It's two-card sound. Home one, it's him talking. Well, and the reason I ask is because, to me, it seems like it is because you have the, the mention of, I will kill for it. And then in the mm -hmm. entry, you have his ghost actually headshotting a, a human. Like, that's I mean, to, terrifying to, me, to be way. clear here, I mean, that's that's something that I also kind of want to call out is this is now a re we have a record now of a ghost killing directly. 
Like this ghost just went through someone's head. And I mean, I, I think that needs to be kind of called out a little bit there because th- this is the first time that we're seeing a ghost actually do wet work literally itself. Um, the other thing Can is we also question oh, yeah. what, what in the world the machine was that crushed him. I'm trying to think if it was like a pike or maybe if it was like a, uh, a car that was like brought back from something, if you will, or like a, like a pickup truck. Like there, it could have been a, any manner of anything, fortunately. Okay. Uh, but that's where I'm, I'm not sure like what I want to say it could be. Uh, but yeah, it could have been a pickup truck. It could have been a pike. It could have been something completely different, uh, altogether. Because whatever it was, the pilot of it is the the dead person yeah, that the ghost killed. Like it's well, and and when they said like an open air cockpit or canopy, uh, that's immediately what made me think it was a jeep, like mm. a, an old fashioned military jeep. Uh, but I again don't know like how true that would end up being. That also goes back to like the thought that uh, even though we've seen uh, some uh, older. Uh, context that we still used cars in the golden age and whatnot and obviously we kind of had them littered outside of the cosmodrome in our our first instance of course of being resurrected uh i still kind of wonder how many of them were serviceable at least for a little while until we got pikes and until we figured out sparrows and stuff like that uh or if sparrows were in workings uh throughout the golden age and whatnot problem with our technology with that stuff like we we know that like early models of uh, with like Clovis Bray and Anna and whatnot working on those like early Sparrow models that they had Sparrows, but just like how defined they actually were. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Good questions. Blue, were you asking about the Raider as himself? Was that the next uh, well, I, I mean, like I had a couple of different questions too. Is like who are the friends that the ghost mentions in relation to the West of their location? Do you guys have any I mean, thoughts on that? He, the ghost was looking towards the settlement, right? That's what was yes, kind of to, implied. Yeah, and it sounds like it would be a settlement that it seems, at least to me, that it's implied that that would be the last city. Possibly. I. I'm the reason I said the reason the reason the reason I'm saying I kind of I kind of read it that way is because if you read um, at the end, it's it calls out the fact that the the orb like dominates the sky. Mm-hmm. So it seems mm-hmm. like they're in close proximity to it. Like, you know, it's not it's not something that traveler. like yeah, to the traveler. Uh and we know that the city was originally a a kind of ramshackle tent town. Uh and it was underneath the traveler. Is my own, it's like that's kind of my line of thought process there. What was that? I was thinking further along cuz yes, I uh I'll, I'll rather agree with that example than if that's the case. Um, I mean, it was just that was my we, that was my thought process was because this is also in the time of warlords versus iron lords, so we know that it's not the city doesn't exist as it mm-hmm. you know as the the air quote city the last city the construction of the walls or anything like that hasn't started, but we also don't know when those tents started getting put together. I mean, they they you know that seems like that was kind of a early structure you know, shantytown, well, if you will. They they start as like a couple and then they just start to... Right, yeah. And I mean, and, and if you watch, there. yeah, if you look at like uh, the Zavala trailer, for instance, when he when he shows up, yeah. it's it's definitely, you know, uh, it's not a city. 
it's a camp. No. Like it's 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 a, a camp is a loose term to use for it. But well, it's like as as I've kind of delved into like the difference between a town and a city is literally like how many people are in yeah, it at this there's point. There's a yeah, it's a but significant they've, part. But they've always just stated that it's been the last safe city, quote unquote. Uh, and it just sort of like stayed that way for a very long time. And that's how it kind of gained notoriety. Uh, just because it's underneath the Traveler doesn't mean dingus. Right. And I think that throws back to an old like theory that the Traveler was somehow radiating something protective. But I don't think that yeah. ever, I don't think that ever got confirmed or like it went, I, I the last I heard it was just like a, a murmur of like it, it was kind of like the whole the whole rub or ruckus about the original story getting thrown out. It was just kind of a summary idea. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the other thing that kind of struck me was like the friends, um, you know, that goes into my entire thought of why it's called the last safe city that implies that there were others. Um, but I'm not going to go down that tangent because that's a dangerous tangent, but, uh, is the, my, my next question while I was reading this was, is the Raider a part of the Iron Lords or the Warlords? Do we even know if they were, um, yep. And that's risen. Uh, and then the other question is, or is it a completely different group of Risen that the Raider or, is? Yeah. Well, because the ghost Cause... says that the Raider is following the orders of Risen like you. Yeah. Right. But that doesn't mean the Raider himself was a Risen. No, 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 no. Correct. The Raider is not a Risen. The Raider is definitely not a Risen. But yeah, because the, the, the Raider by ghost just ramming through his skull. Right. But uh, my point is, is that is the Raider a cannon fodder basically for the iron lords or is it cannon fodder or are they cannon fodder for the warlords or or a cannon fodder for a different group entirely right because i mean to be fair also realize that you're you're talking about demigods here they're gonna they're gonna have a following in the mortals you know the warlords did i would be very surprised if the iron lords did not as well I mean, we know we know that the Iron Lords went out of their way to protect cities, and they they claim territory, as we'll later find in the Wu Ming, and you know, with Felwinter and stuff like that. And they they were territorial about that, so it would not surprise me that some of those individuals would willingly follow them into a battle, or you know, even scouts or something like that. But I, I'm I also find it interesting that it's never specified which side of the fight this particular raider is on right i mean in one respect we're also assuming that those sides have already been chosen uh again this is kind of like the time period thing we don't know exactly the time gap uh we don't know if radagast has even formed the iron lords for this point or not uh, that's fair just yeah be the risen the risen at this point around at this point uh, until we start to actually get a hold of titles or sides start to be chosen or fields start to be picked, etc. Uh, and especially with the way that uh, that that uh, land is kind of plucked and the way that the warlords kind of handle as a whole, uh, there is like this fine line between that uh, that that measure of like again light and dark and how things kind of play out. Uh, but yeah, whole point. Still don't necessarily know about the uh, like the general build up of forces at this point. Mm-hmm. There were no point. guardians though. Like that. That's the that's mm-hmm. the big thing to point out here. There were no guardians yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's extraordinarily fair, at least to say. 
uh, and that is why uh, Ghost says that you're arisen, which I think is also actually, now that I think about it, fairly important to kind of mention, uh, because the ghost says specifically that he, he's arisen like you. Doesn't say, like, and what doesn't is... Doesn't say uh, guardian. Right. Doesn't, like, our, our ghost specifically resurrects us and says, I'm, I'm, you're my guardian, and I'm your ghost. Uh, and I think that's a very kind of particular way to sort of, like, formulate or, or kind of change things. The side thing of that, though, were there ghosts, especially with uh, some of the stuff that Drifter kind of says later on, are there ghosts that resurrected people and said, you're a warlord, let me show you how to do this? That's, an, like, the ghost leading it, or that would right. be interesting. Right, all of a sudden, like, there's some, some darkness amongst the uh, the light of the, of the ghosts, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, or, or again, like heaven or hell. They... Are they angels exactly. or are they demons? Exactly. Yeah, that that uh, that that title for this entry in general <laughs> is extraordinarily deep and can be taken in so many different ways. Uh, the 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 ones that I brought up already were were are not even close. I feel like we need to move on because yes. this is just the first entry, right? And one, this is a problem. Yeah. One one last thing is I would like to also call to fact to attention the small adjustment made to the ghost's orbit pattern of modular armor. Yeah. Um, is that? Do you think that's just like the equivalent of like a shrug, or do you think that's something else? Do you, do you think that might be something else in the because it's called modular armor, and is that is that a descriptive? Yeah, you know, like there's there's a couple different ways you can read that, and I was just curious what you guys were thinking. Well, the as we've kind of talked about previously, the frontier shell says that the the ghost can like manipulate its armor, or it can be uh swapped out in a way correct yeah uh but at least in terms of like that motion itself i kind of think of him like looking up at the the traveler and kind of going like what am i getting into like what what is what is going <laughs> yeah, so, on here so it's kind point? of like an emote basically of the ghost <laughs> yeah he's kind of just like uh traveler help me what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yeah, those those were my questions that I had that stood out to me when I was reading it. But well, you we're know, gonna have talking, a lot more as we go. Yeah, I mean, talking yeah. about heaven or hell, you know, it's a good thing to bring up dogma, right? Oh <laughs> god, this entry this <laughs> just cracks me up more than anything, though. It, it really shows does. his stubbornness. <laughs> well, it's yeah. also super short. It is, and I'm okay with reading this one unless somebody else wants to read it. I think it's a fun one. I mean, we can do what we just did again. That's fine. Yeah. I will narrate. Blue will be the ghost, and Mm -hmm. Beard will be Drifter. Sure. He had been reduced to crawling. His ghost cut serenely through the air above him. What the hell is wrong with me? He demanded of the ground. You're dying from starvation. Ghost said flatly. I don't believe you. He sneered as he dragged himself over some rocks. I could fix you. Ghost said. Don't need you. He said. I got this. You're not going to pick a name? Ghost asked. Everyone picks a name. You talk too much. Some people pick names for their ghosts, too. What should I call you if you don't want a name? He had passed out. The sun beat down directly overhead, a searing marble in the sky. He died a day later after a scorpion stung his prone body. Ghost allowed it. A complete restart would be less complicated he opened his eyes and took an even breath what should i call you ghost asked he looked at it as if considering then down at his hands 
I'm still hungry. <laughs> I I so love, first, I, love I would just like to, I, I would just ghost. like to say to the fact I would just like to say the fact that I ended up telling Blue that he talks too much. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I just, I just love the ghost snark. He's like yeah. No, seriously, seriously, what's your name? Hey, dude. Yeah. No, no. Dude. Hey, dude. Hey. <laughs> What's your name? Hey. Hey. Hi. You can maybe name Mom. a ghost, too. Mom. Mama. Yeah, maybe, Mom. Maybe, 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 maybe name me. Maybe. Maybe. It's like, um, who's is, whose ghost is it? It's not Eva's. It's um, Tyra's. Tyra's. Tyra's ghost. <laughs> you want to name me? Yeah. You're, you're named Ghost. <laughs> you should name yourself. No, you should name me. I did. You're named Ghost. Ah. <laughs> Don't call me ghost. <laughs> Don't call me ghost. Ghost. Yeah. And the thing that I love about this card, though, is it really highlights kind of something that Blue brought up really early on in the episode in that Drifter apparently, I don't know if he doesn't know, doesn't remember how to eat or doesn't mm-hmm. know why he's hungry. Like, there are basic functions that are things you would think normal human functions. I am hungry. I should find food. He doesn't realize he's dying because he's hungry. Hey, why are you getting ahead of a, ahead of us here? It's I mean, on the next card. I know, but this is it starts on this card. <laughs> I love There's I love reason. that quote. I love that quote on this next card. Yeah, and yeah. I I think that's I don't know if there's too much more on this one besides that ghost uh, this is the card that asks the ghost is asking about his name. Um, I mean I picked up one very important thing. Which part? Hey, Blue, remember that bit about how, you know, people seem to have picked names for reasons mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. and, like, it was ingrained? How I said that Guardians seem like there's some sort of computer program? Mm-hmm. A complete restart would be less complicated. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, I mean... You can read into it that way. Right, I don't you know can. if that's the intention. <laughs> Did you but, did you turn it off and turn it back on again? Yeah, pretty much. Like you're you're playing Guardian Tech what, Support you mean, over here. You, what you mean? Support. Ghosts are essentially programmable computers <laughs> that are just going about and controlling our every. Never mind. I'm just yeah, Johnny Five. Need more input. Need, <laughs> need more input. input. Anyway, yeah. No, I uh, I'm. I'm not sure if that's the intention. Obviously, it is so, something I so have now, to keep my eyes on a lot Now more. I have Ghost as Moss in my head. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him near fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, the, the thought that Ghost would just allow it, I mean, I get it at that point, but a complete restart would be less complicated. The... The way that that is written has such implication that it's not even funny. Well, uh, especially with some of the stuff we talked earlier on about with the invitation and players and mm-hmm. so on. No, here's stop a, it. Here's another theory that Lux brought up in chat with me the other day. Um, the concept of when a guardian is resurrected, or not right. not resurrected, but revived after a death. What point? In their physical self, are they resurrected at? Obviously not with all the bullet holes, or they would die again immediately. So the fact that Drifter had allowed himself to die a slow, 
hungry death and then died by scorpion sting, it could theoretically imply that it is more simple to resurrect him all the way back instead of resurrect him at that last point. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are definitely pieces behind that that you could kind of go along with. Like, look at how we are in the Crucible. It seems like it's still fairly easy to bring us back from like being sharded to devoid dust you know and it's thorn and all the other things that go along with that but yes well one thorn maybe not so much right but i know what you mean i know i know we've had that discussion <laughs> oh man let's see blue you are up for home yeah let's go home um so this one is a pretty pretty well it's a standard length one um but it starts with a quote that we've referenced quite a few times at this point and it's a quote from a dark age drifter and the quote says the light is no gift it takes everything from you makes you forget not just your memories but how to live um and in in regards to kind of what beard and green were just actually just talking about uh there there's a lot of different ways you can take that that statement you know you can take it from a moral standpoint uh which is certainly true if you look at the warlords uh you can take it from a physical which is what just happened you know arguably just happened there uh or you can take it from both you know like your your general humanity is is maybe removed because again going back to i think it was i think even this was last week as well green that we were talking about the nature versus nurture thing Mm -hmm. with uh with uh devil may cry dante um you know like the whole the whole concept of morality is arguably not something that's naturally in people um you know there's there's a there's a very deep philosophical debate that that is gonna dive into um but ultimately the argument there is that a lot of a lot of morals especially more refined morals are taught via society uh they're actually imprinted upon an individual based off the society or the social norms that they exist within which is where you get different cultural understandings of you know we were talking about the the uh, was it the yukata is that, mm-hmm. a, is that mm-hmm. uh, you, you caught it. You know, there's there's different cultural norms. Uh, there's different uh, concepts such as the difference between the Eastern and Western funeral rites. There are vastly different. They're vastly different. Um, and that is not something. And they're they're both human. Like they're both human species. They're not, you know, nothing there. Like genetically, they have the same DNA as the, each other, but the culture that uh, they exist within is completely different. You have, and I mean, and that's not even just, you know, that's just East West. You also have like, you can look at Mongols, uh, their, their debt, their funeral rites were vastly different than all of them. In top of it, you have Greeks, you have uh, Egyptians, uh, you know, the Egyptian death rites were very, very, very convoluted and very uh, ornate in a way. And then you have like the the upper European rights where it was pretty much very brutal, very, very uh, efficient. Efficiency was key. Um, and, you know, so each of these cultures has very different rights around that particular aspect of life, which is a natural part of life. But at the same time, it's how you handle it that's entirely dependent upon the culture in which you exist. Um, right. But it's it's very interesting to me how that that particular comment is already kind of being tossed out by drifter and again with what you know beard what you were saying with the yukata you know 
but he also remembers certain things. He remembers right. that he was dressed for death. So there's there's a there's a debate there going on is like did you did you forget or did you just use that as an excuse to start over? Slightly um, manipulate. Right. I mean I mean and there's there's a lot of arguments that you can make on either side of that too, right? Um but as far as the actual entry, what's going on here is we're introduced. So this is the first card in what I've kind of I've I just refer to as the Germain arc, um, and this is actually the arc that it is really kind of really well written. Uh, because I'll be honest, the first time I read through this, I could not for the first like two or three entries, I could not tell you which one of the characters being talked about was the Drifter. It was really oh, well really? done. Yeah, it took me. I mean, like now that I'm now now that I've read it a couple times, I definitely like I immediately pick up on it because obviously the conclusion kind of gives it away. But uh-huh. for the longest time, or for the first like couple times, it was I I I it took me a little bit to kind of iron out or iron down who was the actual drifter. Um, mm-hmm. So I I really like I really like that actually because again it goes back to my kind of my point about him kind of ingraining himself into this this village, uh, and so this village that we're talking about is a village that is a mortal population. It's it's uh, it seems like it's mostly human. I want to probably that's an assumption, but I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that right now, uh, given what we hear about within dust and uh, Ignisus. Uh, Awoken are probably not very prominent right now, and Exos are a little bit more common, but not much. Uh, So it's probably mostly human. It's definitely immortal. Uh, And this village is called Eaton. It's a a small village. It's, uh, let's see, it's very isolated, uh, because basically what's happening here is that for the first time in years, they have received visitors. And these visitors are... Iron Lords. Um, and so we get we get introduced to a couple people here. We get introduced to Germain, who is the main storyteller or storyteller, uh, who is later revealed to be the drifter. Uh, Judson, who is the neighbor of Germain. Uh, he's a renowned hunter or trapper of the village, and he is very outspoken against working for what he calls the Iron Freaks, which I actually really like. Um, I'll, this is the these are the two characters that I had flipped. I had thought Judson was the drifter and Jermaine was the human. It turns out that's not the case, which I, I really like that. Uh, we also are introduced to Lord Dryden, which is a very important name, a really, really important name. Uh, Lord Dryden is the leader of the group that visits. Uh, he is the leader of the Iron Lords group. And basically what Dryden is doing is he is visiting and he is basically paying the village to allow the Iron Lords to use them as bait against a, another Risen, a warlord, who is but who goes by the name of the Red Man. Um, personal theory here, and I'm pretty confident that I have a, a pretty good case to make here, I think the Red Man is Sagoth. Um and that is due to a reference back in Destiny 1 within the Grimoire. Sagoth is described as being a risen who wears all red, 
Mm-hmm. He is described as being in red robes or red armor. Uh, and and that is from the Payrune Grimoire card, if I remember that correctly. Uh, we yeah. also are introduced, or we 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 see another Iron Lord uh, who is a female EXO, but she is never named. Um, potentially, you know, the only female EXO that we actually have a name for at this point is Ash Raven. Um, but I don't. I there's no there is no connection at all to if that's the if that is who this is. Um, but yeah, and so basically it's just an introduction to Eaton. Uh, it's the introduction to um, Judson flipping off the, the Risen, which is I mm-hmm. thought was kind of funny. Um, your name is stupid yeah. and you're stupid too. Best insult ever <laughs> from from Judson to to or to Jermaine. Um and then also just the establishment again of the characters, Judson as being the person who's opposed to helping them, and then Jermaine as kind of being a um uh Jermaine, the best way I could say it is he he's trying to keep a low profile. The other yes. the other thing that you also catch on here is that Judson is is seems to be where uh Drifter gets his vernacular from. If you look at the way Judson speaks in these entries, it is how Drifter speaks currently. And the way Jermaine speaks in these entries is nothing like what Drifter talks about now. And that transition happens in the next couple entries, but it, I did. I don't know if you guys had picked up on that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the brother slips in because of that. How you live? Well, I'm gonna say between how you, that, how you live in. Uh, yeah, the the the, the, the slang. The slang there. is definitely like the extreme slang is definitely there for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree kinda, with that. It, it's it's proof further of like how, especially as time goes by, or how we kind of go along with the drifter as a whole. He still takes his experiences and kind of learns from them, understands them. He incorporates or it. Uses them. Yeah, he he uses them to fuel his uh, general ideals and understandings as he goes along. Which I mean, to be uh, fair, that that is one, very human. Yeah. No, I mean that's very human too. Is you take your experiences right. and you you um you assimilate them into your person, and then that that allows you to grow. I mean, that's that's arguably that's what allows you to grow as a person, right? Is your experience? Yeah, I mean, largely, if you listen to my father and I talk, we're not too far different in how we how we speak, how we uh, kind of handle ourselves in terms of like how. Uh, how our general presentation is as people, uh, but I've got some. I have some different tones that I end up putting in because I spent like four or five months when I was a kid down south, and occasionally that still pops out now and again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's amazing how that piece kind of stays with you, especially as a child. But for even as as drifter as a whole, like he's still kind of impressionable in a way because of the fact that he's a newer risen, at least in in some respects for like what I could kind of figure he's a fairly newer risen uh so if these are i i, I kind of go back to like the doctor uh from doctor who mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. the first time he opens up his eyes attack eyebrows kind of yep he he opens up his eyes and the first person that he uh lays his eyes on he generally has like a deeper connection with in a lot of rights uh this is what happened with uh especially with uh season uh season 11 with matt smith uh and amy pond uh 
first person that he comes in contact with is a young Amy Pond. And it's not until much later on down the timeline uh, that all of a sudden they bump into each other again. And he is still the same doctor. He's still the same raggedy man. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is important to him the entire time that he is that doctor. Uh, and I almost wonder if something similar like that with the Drifter up until the very end of Matt Smith's uh, timeline as the Doctor uh, kind of holds true here with like what he's going on about, which I think when we get to, I think it's Home Part 3, uh, I have further reasoning as to why that's the case. Uh, needless to say, uh, Judson Yudson is not the only uh, character that leaves like a general impression on oh. the drifter or Jermaine as a whole <laughs> not there's, even in this this arc no there's there's one other person hmm. that means a lot more to his overall standing and it makes a lot more sense to why he is the way he is yeah uh the other thing too about eaton is that it is in the middle of a not just a drought but like a famine the the it has reached a point that the adults are starving themselves so that their children could eat. Uh, so that's that's also, and I, I think that position had been going on for several months at this at the point that the Iron Lord showed up and offered them food. Uh, so that was that's the other thing is like not only is this not they're not getting paid in like glimmer or anything like that they're getting paid in food. Uh, they're not. I mean, so keep that in mind too. Yeah, and they're mortal. Yes, and and unlike the Drifter, if they starve, there's nothing to bring them back. Right. But is it in Home 1 where we learned that he has his ghost basically hide away in a different no, location? No, that's, that uh, that's much later. Okay. I think much that's later. actually like Home 3. 3 or 4, four. yeah. Because that's 4 is like the full reveal. Yeah, so right. I think, anyway. I think four, well, 3... Uh, three is where ghosts kind of get the ghost gets mentioned, and then four is the one where uh, he call like he he calls ghost out for because it's it's a mistake like the mistake yeah. that ghost made that led the whole thing to. But yeah, yeah, that's that's later in the the home arc because home part two well, is where we get introduced to the other significant character in yeah. this arc. Well, I gotta say, and that's where home part two opens up with. Sir, this is awful. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means, if you guys have any indication or idea. I've been, I'm right there uh, with you, to be honest. I'm trying to figure okay. out who he's talking to. Right. I'm trying to wonder if he's uh, kind of looking at it from like a position of um, like maybe talk with Dryden or something like that. Afterwards. That's what I was just thinking is like maybe he's trying, like when he's talking to, uh, either the red man or dryden right well i don't know if he would be talking when, with the red man because well because there like is there is got off got well because there was the combat in part three there was the um confrontation there yeah i'm trying to see real quick i don't think he says that line he yeah, doesn't, he doesn't say he doesn't that, say that. No. yeah no Which that's the only time i could with... see him seeing it or saying it which goes with a couple pieces. Either he had uh, worked with somebody else. Maybe it was like when he was with his time with the Shadows or something else and he had brought it up there. Uh, or he was talking it over with like another uh, another person with like scouting out or like looking over the like what's what's left of Eaton and so on. Uh, or, or it could just be that he had a really bad bite of food and it's just awful. You know, I don't know. <laughs> 
what it could be. Uh, with the Drifter, it's entirely possible that it's about food. Like, uh, we're just going to throw that out there right now. Uh, when one of your entries in Delirium 21%, <laughs> I think it is, uh, or 21% Delirium, it's rather. waxing is... poetic about the thought of eating fallen. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how they taste. He's never um, finished a scorn, according to some of his voice no, lines. He, he, he yeah, wants, no, he wants to, though. He wants to. He's never finished one. You ever seen the Vex eat? I know I haven't. They say the stuff in the center's organic. Still haven't seen it happen. Oh my gosh. Everything about him is like food, even if it's like off kilter or something like that. It's about food, like largely about food. Anyway, uh, which I think plays like wholly into how his character sort of is. Uh, yeah, part two is where we end up getting the other character, though, that is extraordinarily important, uh, to this, uh, Germaine arc. Uh, her name is Yu. Uh, she is nine years old, or nine cycles old, as they kind of say here. And she is the, uh, neighbor, excuse me, neighbor to Yudson, who, uh, as a whole, seems like they, they have a very interesting little town, uh, it uh, doesn't do a lot of, like, favors for anybody. Uh, he yells, he screams, etc., etc. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, but she holds up with uh, Drifter on occasion just to get away from it all. Uh, and also for her parents to not feel like she's uh, kind of endangered by this neighbor. Uh, but Drifter also seems like he's kind of in charge of the rations and such and the warehouse that's there. Uh and she's hanging out with him, just kind of talking. Uh, he's sitting there playing a, a, a set of cards. We don't necessarily know what. I would figure something like Solitaire. Uh, and here, I think, is where I kind of started to pick up on the fact that, like, Jermaine seems like he might be the drifter, if this is the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, only because he's messing with the cards. <laughs> that, and uh, he's also and I, obsessed with how much food they got. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say, between those couple things, I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, but the conversation between, uh, you and Jermaine, uh, you is obviously younger, uh, she doesn't really know a lot of things that are going on behind it, uh, or, or, like, behind the situation of the Iron Lord settling in and the Warlords being around, uh, she's effectively, like, sitting there kind of going, uh, you know, well, Yudson's good with guns. Maybe he can go ahead and take out the warlords for anybody else that comes our way. Drifter immediately just like snaps her off and says, no, you don't think like that. Get that out of your mind. Like right now, that's not going to happen. Uh, but she she just tries to like keep in motion of like what's happening with everything. She tries to like keep upbeat about it all. Uh, and just, like, generally hang out with Jermaine because he seems like a fairly nice person. Uh, no nothing is off-putting to this child about this character sitting there playing cards. Nothing sets her off into thinking that Jermaine or the Drifter is a terrible person. And I would, like, the, the old saying, like, kids are innocent and so on, they're also a fairly good judge of character in a lot of rights. And that's one thing that kind of makes me think that, you know, Drifter showcasing that he is okay with kids, he wants the kids to do well, so on and so forth. Uh, that's where I think that this is kind of like a very powerful card, just seeing this interaction between Drifter and a child. That, um, and he also, like, the comment about, I don't want to die. And he his, yeah. his, his immediate reaction is, you won't. 
Yeah. Like, right. I mean, like, you, that, that tell, like, that speaks to me, it speaks volumes of towards what, where he is as a character. Like, mm-hmm. he is, you know, you don't, it's very hard to say that and not imply a, a degree of protectiveness or at least, you know, friendliness. Like, you don't, you don't just say that. Now, I mean, he follows up with, you know, hey, I'm, I'm tired, you know, why don't you go see what your parents are up to? And yeah, but how he carries that on and but then it. right, but then I was gonna say, but then after she leaves, it calls out also that his hands are shaking. Yeah, I mean, it's just to me that speaks again. It's that that portraying the character when they're by themselves that that to me kind of speaks more volume of what they're actually because you know the way you hold yourself when no one is around is generally going to be more true to what you're actually feeling or thinking. Because you don't have to, you don't have to put on an act like that's the thing. And so when you see, like it says, you hadn't noticed because it was difficult to see in the flickering lamplight, but his hands shook. Like, is it fear? Is, is it is it anger? Like, what we don't necessarily know, but well, we kind of know actually, or at least maybe not in that moment. But he's terrified. Oh the yeah, yeah. I talks mean, about that. Right. Well, no. Right. But I mean, in in this particular entry, we don't know. Like I was saying, like emotionally, you're not really sure where he is at right. this point in the entry. Like I, I agree with you. I think he's he's you, fear. I think is what it is. You, you kind of get more of that sense though as the entry goes on. To be honest, like it is it is fear that in a lot of cases seems to drive his early motives. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the other thing that I think is important to point out about this whole situation about him being uh, in this uh, warehouse and having this uh, this instance where his hand shakes is because this is him early days, or at least like the first instance that we really know of him. Now, maybe later Drifter, where he's having this fascination with making his tapes and whatnot, uh, is a completely different kind of right and a different kind of uh, person in terms of like who he is. Uh, even when nobody else is looking, uh, he he takes on the act a little bit further. Besides, like what it is uh, right now with what we're kind of seeing with this uh, point of Germain, uh, and I think that's what's important to at least remember as we kind of see the character develop or go along. Times change you. That's just like all end points basically when it comes down to like how uh, I think even the rest of this book kind of carries on. Uh, but the entry carries on where uh, later that evening. Uh, Yudson is actually seen leaving uh, Eaton, and Jermaine actually stops him, Drifter stops him uh, outside of the village and basically asks him, like, where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, and Yudson's just basically like, yo, I don't trust the Iron Lords at all, and you're nuts if you think I'm going to stay here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a couple things that end up leading to it. Uh, I'll read this this last little bit, though, that kind of, like, carries on with it. Uh, they're looking to jump one man. Just one. We gotta see this through. Even the Risen can contain a fight at that scale. Yudson says, you gonna move, or do I move you? Jermaine stepped to the side. I'm not the law, but where are you gonna go? There's nothing but warland out there, and their prey is coming. The important piece about, uh, the way that this kind of handles, Jermaine has a choice that he could make. Drifter has a choice he could make here, uh, to effectively say, I can stop him from leaving the village or i can effectively just tell him to go uh and what we're going to ultimately see is that the choice that he could have made there or granted is like multi-layered like yudson leaving 
Drifter not having him leave at all, uh, this choice will come back to haunt uh, the entirety of Eaton, like as we kind of go through. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest thing, though, as I mentioned at the end here, uh, or as I mentioned earlier, with uh, the, the point of fear, uh, I'm a tracker, kept this town fed for years before you got here. This is Yudson talking, by the way. I'll be fine, and that other Risen won't care about one man passing through. I got nothing to hide, just need to get away. If you all want to pay, uh, play bait for the warring dead, have a nice life. Jermaine chuckled. What's so funny? Yudson sneered in that low voice again. I don't know how you do it. I almost admire you. How's that? You've got no fear. Have a nice life, brother. See you when I see you. Jermaine walked back the gate. So in this regard, that's where I kind of figured that he was all like running off of fear and whatnot, the hand shaking and whatnot kind of gives right, that overtone yeah. of like what he's going for. That was at least my first indication that like early drifter is unsure about anything that's happening here. Could that have been remedied though, by him following ghost and understanding more of like what the risen were about or what the iron Lords were about or what the warlords were about. We don't know because he still very much wants to be on his own. And he's kind of just wanting to choose to live life as like a normal human being, uh, which there's a part in four that we'll get to eventually that I think is important to call out with that. Uh, anything else with two that you guys wanted to add? Uh, I think I, that's... I, yeah, I think that's good. Okay. Green, did you have something? No. Um, it's just continuing on from two to three. The The fears that Drifter had. Yep get more manifest in three or at least they're realized in three a little bit more the entry for home three starts out with uh a a person we don't know exactly who but they approach drifter or at least well, we, yeah, this we is assume yudson this is yudson is is it yudson yeah the second this is one? this is the okay. red man this is the red man catching yudson Okay. This is this is where Drifter's ghost makes the mistake. Yeah. Okay. And then Yudson gets confused for Drifter and Got you. That's where they backtrack to Eaton. You think I'm a I'm a one of you, brother. You got another thing coming. Let's see here. No water for yeah. miles. Yeah. Because he's basically because so Yudson I mean running. to be to be fair, Yudson does try to try to skirt around showing them back to Eaton. Right. But but like he's like but then the red man's like yeah you're coming with me mm -hmm. and then he's like I plan to scout the valley by myself but now I think I'll bring some friends right and then the six warlords show up right yeah. yeah and they are they dismount their machines whatever machine they're riding whether it's pikes or sparrows or whatnot I would uh, going back to like the lady Perun card. Mm -hmm. I would almost say at this point, I would be tempted to say Pikes, because uh, that's what they were at least on in that card. Mm -hmm. And considering what we know of the outcome of this battle now, I would say that they were Pikes at least at this point. <laughs> I'll be honest, I keep freeding the Warlords as riding the Brute Choppers from Halo 3. Oh my gosh! I'm like, I'm sorry, but like every time I hear the the warlords like riding up on, the, I'm like, all I can see is right. the brute choppers. Like, I just, <laughs> oh god, 
So I ruined that headcanon for everyone. Sorry. Yeah, you did. Yep, that's that's <laughs> yeah, it. Did. I think I think book's over, people. We can pack it up. Going home. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay, so where's Red Sarge Man- when I need him to chew on his cigar and tell me to go <laughs> oh home? God. Oh my god. For a break, he flew pretty good. Oh, Lord. So yeah, so basically, Sorry, uh, the Red Man is he threatens to torture Yudson, and then that's but, how they get back right. to the Eaton. But Judson isn't hurt. Like you realize no, no, a little you, bit well, later, he, like Judson. He, yeah, he buckles. Yeah, like, tor- torture is yeah. the wrong word. He doesn't torture him. No, uh, no, no, no. He, he says, basically but, just interrogates him a little bit. Right. He says, with. yeah. But but he does threaten him with torture. He said, "You could tell me, or I could start cutting." Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like, "Well, maybe you missed something." And and red man sagoth whoever you want to, whatever you want to call him says you're coming with me i plan to scout the valley myself but now i think i'll bring mm-hmm. some friends right uh and then that's where it then transitions into eaton and this is where they basically come pulling J- judson or judson they come like it, to me it, it's like they're they're like in a the old wet old west wagon they have him like trussed up and they throw him like i don't i don't know like this is like to me it just like makes sense and they basically are like all right Who's who's this dude and like where are the where are the warlords or where are the iron lords? Um or does anyone want to claim this runt is what they say. Yeah, that's the line. What cracks me up is now I have the head head cannon of the opening of Skyrim where Judson's on the freaking <laughs> cart oh, writing <laughs> in. <laughs> yes. Todd Howard, you did it again. Uh-huh. A dragon! <laughs> I'm just laughing now. I'm uh, ruined. We're ruining people's headcanon at this point. We got Halo uh, 3, we got Skyrim in here. Right. I, that's it. But, like, okay, so Redman basically throws him down. Jermaine, Drifter actually kind of stands up for him. Well, yeah, Dr- yeah Drifter claims, claims him. He's like, does anyone want to claim right. this front? And Jermaine's like, yeah, we will. And, uh... And then that's when they kind of are like, well, we're the Iron Lords, and right. the, and Jermaine, <laughs> Jermaine just kind of is like, well, yeah, they paid us food. <laughs> there's like, there's right. like no resistance at all. Right, but he, it's the weighing of the odds. Like if he doesn't say anything, things could theoretically go bad. But if he says something, because if the if the Red Man is or Sagoth is truly wanting to go after the Iron Lords, and nothing is there, theoretically, they could let them go. Yeah. So, And then then you get to see the Warlords for what they really are. Right. Also, Drifter's snarky. <laughs> Hand to my heart. Uh, well, I mean, and ironically, also kind of fearless. Yeah. yeah. Because, like... Well, he got pushed you know, into a corner. Well, I'm going to say, like, he's, he's there, he's got to hold it together, etc., uh, but I know with, uh, do, yeah, there it is. Um, cause he says, uh, they were here, uh, uh, you're right. They were here, but they're long gone. We paid them for supplies. They moved on a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, did they, the red man raised his hand cannon and shot Yu's father in the head. The entire crowd flinched and huddled together as the man fell backward. Yu's mother cried out in fury, but held her child tight. Hand in my heart, Jermaine said, holding his breath as he waited for the uh, hidden Iron Lords to make a move. So, 
like right there he's he's holding it together he's doing what he needs to he knows that he can go ahead and take these guys out if he has to but he makes the choice not to involve himself still he's he's still trying to blend in as much as possible in that regard which uh, is not a terrible strategy it's no, just not it's not it's no, it's, it's, yeah, no. i mean when all is said and done it's 6v uh 6v1 if mm-hmm. it were just him versus the warlords right but, but like end of the day as well like we he, him going from like this fearful feeling that we see in part two and then going to part three this way mm-hmm. uh it's just a, a very easy uh, a very interesting rather juxtapositioning is that i it's a re- kind of call out i mean it's a reinforcement for what we learned from the emissary again like right. i'm just stuck that. i'm stuck up on that because the emissary is just like he hates confrontation essentially and yep. that is something we're seeing over and over here now granted he hates confrontation to the point where if there's going to be a confrontation with others where others are involved, where others can get hurt. He's going to make a decision and make a move in some way, shape, or form to help stop it. Yeah. It, it may not be violent, or it may be violent. It just depends on the situation, because Drifter is the opportunist. He's right. going to make the best of any situation he can. Right. But is there any other thing on this one? Because there's yes. a couple... I mean, the fight scene happens. So um, the ghost... I... The ghost, and I actually want to call out, uh, I think one of these warlords is Thalia. Who is Yes, because a third warlord pulled the glaive out of Judson's hands and stabbed him in the side with a gauntlet blade and then hurled him backwards over the machines. Thalia, to this point, is the only uh, Risen that has been described as having a gauntlet blade. Hmm. Now, again... Very, 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 very weak connection. I mean, not. I mean, not. I. I'm not gonna go like die on a hill over that that connection by any means. But I did mm-hmm. find it interesting that it was pointed out that it was a gauntlet blade. Like it was just. It was an odd thing to be mentioned. Like you know, it's like it's stabbed him in the side with a gauntlet blade. Not just stabbed him in the side. Like it, they made a point of calling out the the type of weapon. Um, and then with Thalia, we have mentioned that, so Thalia is the Risen who is mentioned with the, I think it's a Liar's Handshake, uh, Hunter Arms, for, for those who are interested in that connection. Uh, Thalia and her posse, basically, there's three of them, there's, I, I always cannot remember Otto, Thalia, and then Ario. The crazy warlock that's always with him. I can't ever remember his name, but Otto is the guy who has the big van. And there's the three of them. And they're never specified as being really on either side of the warlord or the uh, iron lord fight, but they are called out as being risen. Mm-hmm. So there is a there is a kind of a possible connection there that they would be around at the same time as these. And those three have in other entries been been the one stealing things from settlements for uh supplies they will they're they're known to steal supplies and then escape from you know whatever law enforcement is present so it's it's not to me it would not be out of character for thalia to be kind of involved with you know sagoth or the red man at this point the sad thing that 
at the very end of this and which comes yes. up in later cards is the the last scene between Drifter and yeah. you. Yeah, and this is so, this is the part where Beard and I had mentioned this character being very important to Drifter. Yeah. So I'm just gonna read the little paragraph of where this is. And this is like right towards the end of the battle. Everything's just burning essentially. There's explosions, gunfire, and this is where we're gonna start. Through it all, the ghost saw one of the men emerge out of the discharge of an errant explosive device, cradling the body of a child. He moved to relative safety behind one of the shacks and knelt down, holding an ear to the child's face. She was trying to speak. One of the armored riders in town, in the town square, raised a heavy machine gun in one hand and raked the length of Eaton with the golden tracers. The ghost lost visibility on the townspeople as the hall of machine gun fire filled his vantage point with a rolling cloud of dirt and dust. The, annihilation, the annihilating, sense-shattering explosions came soon after, and the ghost and the ghost increased its elevation. It waited until long after the battle had died out and the surviving risen all, had all left before lowering itself back down to earth. It wasn't even sure which side had won. It didn't matter. The day had turned to dusk. So I I know we've learned more about the death of you in the next card, but this is the scene where you see Drifter basically is trying to, or Jermaine is trying to save the child, or at least hear her last words. Remember what they are. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just, I'm like, I love my Drifter. It makes me happy that yeah, he has a soul. Like, I read this, I read this, and I lost my, sh- yeah, I lost my mind on, like, this particular connection. And then mm-hmm. I remember when I was doing the Thorn quest, and that, that audio tape dropped, and I was like, uh-huh. oh my god! I, I can't remember if I messaged you, but I was like, I was like, it, 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 it's the thing! It's the thing! Mm-hmm. They're making the connection! And I was like, I'm like, because this this seems like such a telling point, but you know, granted, it is only one point until those audio logs dropped, and yes. then we found out that you know he still remembers Yu's last words. Uh-huh. He still remembers vividly this entire event, and yeah. to put that in perspective, this is in the middle of like arguably around the middle of the Dark Ages. Like this is this is a long freaking time ago and he remembers this very vividly. And so to me, if anything, this is one of the if not if shaping not in points. the top 5, this is definitely one of the shaping catalysts for the drifter's character to become as jaded as his character is. Because because what the ghost just what you just read about the ghost mm-hmm. being coming down and being like it did, it wasn't even sure which side had won, it didn't right. matter. Because the right. people who matter are all dead. And that's that's the thing that you have to remember. The Drifter is integrating himself with the mortals. He's integrating himself with those who are being trodden on by these demigods. They are the ones that are getting the short end of the stick. They're the ones that are being punished in this war. They're not, you know, the warlords and the, the iron lords, they, they die and they get resurrected. They don't, they don't care they don't feel the pain of the of you know the final death that these humans do and that's what you know it seems like drifter is just being constantly reminded that they don't care and that's where you see the whole thing of him wanting to find a way to end the war of light against light which you know will go into the whole go into the whole thing about the monoliths 
and mm-hmm. his his running with the shadows and his like everything everything stems from and and I I do also have you know once you read read the rest of this arc and then read the Wu Ming arc also kind of backs my kind of my personal theory on this but I still I really think this is the point where Drifter kind of is like okay enough's enough like mm-hmm. he puts he 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 in his own way he starts taking an action to kind of bring a form of justice around, at least for this particular incur- in this incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think justice is absolute proper word. Oh yeah, yeah, no, like what is? Oh, oh yeah, loosens, loosens is like I'm like I read that and I was like I'm I was sitting there and I was just I was cheering him on. I was like, yeah, yeah, you you do you do that you do that. Especially it, that last uh, card. Oh my gosh, yes. It uh, definitely gives a little bit more behind uh, my favorite Iron Lord, for sure. <laughs> the Dark Horse. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get there. Um, Speaking uh, of which, going to home? home uh, well, before we get there, uh, the last line for you is actually in the Allegiance quests. Uh, so if you guys haven't done that, that is definitely a worthwhile oh, and it's yes, not too yeah. hard to actually yes. get done uh not in thorn uh just wanted to at least oh sorry yeah sorry i it's yeah. the allegiance one yeah it, it all kind those of two. Those blends blend, together yeah, those all blended really together easy, honestly i did both of them around the same time <laughs> so i get it so i'm yeah i'm right there with you i think yeah I, no right there uh, with you but yeah so like if nobody wants to know oh what the last words of you were, you can skip ahead like 10 seconds. I'll just say them now. Uh, she said, I can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Just that just I mean, here's that, the thing is like, again, especially being like, especially being a parent that like brings right. a whole new level of emotion to it. But I mean, yeah. just I just yeah. I'm going to say, I don't have that necessary connection outside of, like, another loved one that, you know, pretty well died in my arms, so I kind of get it. Uh, But in that regard, like, hearing those kind of words will absolutely change you forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the the major thing. Especially from a child. Like, that's the thing, is, like, it's, you know, and I, I I don't mean to detract from not children, but, like, children, you... I'm a firm believer that you should not have to experience that. Like no one should experience a child dying. Like that's, that's children, you know, like, you know, call me, call me idealistic, call me whatever, but children do not, children should not have to do that. Like, you know, a child is, you, you had mentioned this earlier. The child is innocent. The child is, you know, is joy. They should be, they should be having a happy life. They should be, you know, they, they shouldn't be in a situation like this. Um, which I mean, I can go on a huge tangent about that, but that's where to me, especially what you're saying, I, I agree wholeheartedly with because, because the other thing also is like, I can't help but imagine how it was said. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that just, I mean, it like, it just rips, it just rips a hole in me, to be honest. I'm going to say, consider who is saying it at the time. Yeah. Of like, I just like, mm-hmm. There, there's no other nice way to say it. This is a dying kid. Like, I I don't even want to imagine how long... Like, he probably goes to sleep at night and is now immortal. Well, and, and, that, and that's... Right. That moment and over that's what, and over. 
and that's the thing that like to me is like and and again you know to hammer this home just a bit more it's not a death of natural causes this is a death of violence like yep. this is i mean because preventable violence a preventable yeah. violence that arguably he could have prevented like you know there's there's a couple points there in that event that lead up that he if he had made the right if he had made not the right if he had made a different decision it could have gone differently mm-hmm. but the other thing too that sticks out to me is that he was when ghost saw this he was coming out of an explosion. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't a gunshot. It wasn't like. I mean, this was something equivalent of like a grenade or a landmine. You know, like that. And those are. I mean, those those are not uh, clean. I'll just say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So home four um, is. You know, I think Beard you had mentioned it. Home four is pretty much the big <laughs> reveal. Like everyone, okay. it's it's kind of all cards are on the table. Um, I interestingly enough. Uh, Yeltsin is still alive. Like, <laughs> I don't really know how he managed to do that. But Yeltsin but... is a he's a risen, isn't he? No, no, he's, no, he's no? just a, he's just a tracker. He's just, a he's just yeah, he's uh, just okay. a, he's just a human. Um, because that's what he calls out. He calls him out. He calls Jermaine uh, out. He says, "You were mm-hmm. one of them all along." And Jermaine's like, "All my lives." And then Yeltsin kind of like. He blames Jermaine, and this is where Jermaine kind of shifts into the the drifter that we're kind of more familiar with, because he says, "You got us killed, you son of a!" And then uh, Jermaine kicks the because J- uh, Yudson has a hand cannon on him, mm-hmm. and Jermaine he said and he knelt down to point a finger. No, no, that one's on you. Those warlords caught you. What else were they gonna do? I wanted to stop you from leaving, but I didn't think I had the right. Um. And so it's like you kind of get a sense that Drifter is, I mean, he's deferring the responsibility of the the thing, but he's also kind of, he. I mean, he does say, I wanted to stop you, but I didn't think I had the right. Um, and then, yeah. Which, goes, and then, which is oh, interesting because we have our whole, our whole thing when, when it comes to the Allegiance quest itself, the given the choice. Right. We're right. given the choice. And he... He's always had this kind of moralistic streak of it's not I'm not going to force you to do anything. Mm-hmm. You Dude, make your decision. Oh, Drifter, you cover Drifter you. does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You choose I, you. And he. I mean, and those to, consequences. Oh, go for it. Go for it, Beard. All the way to the end of what Green was saying with the Allegiance quest for sure. Like the the ending. Since I still have that kind of like spark uh, heavy in my mind right now. The ending selection for siding with the drifter is he kind of just like sides you a package and says you know thanks for sticking with me Mm -hmm. uh it's all your choice in the end and like what you do but like end of the day he's got your back you've got his but his ideas are still very like non-violent in that regard like he doesn't want to meet violence with violence he 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 very as stupid as this is going to sound he's very much the gandhia this time because he's like the I'm going to avoid violence as much as possible, but I'm not be he's this is where he's not like He's not going to roll over. Yeah, I'm 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 not going to like let things go and if there is some way I can get it to be taken care of, I'm going to get it taken care of by parties that are interested in doing so. What he's doing is no different than what the traveler is doing in a lot of rights. 
It is no different whatsoever in how ghosts handle. It's no different how warlords handle in some regards, except he's not carrying it out. He is seeing an end path to it all via one reasoning and one overall right, and that is justice. He is only concerned with that one word in a lot of rights, and I guess to a point too, honor, which goes back into mm-hmm. his overall feeling and goes back into his overall uh, possible previous life that he had, as I had mentioned with like the, the Yukata and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's not a non-traditional uh, piece of clothing that an Oriental would wear. It just is not. Well, especially with the significance, like you were saying, with the way it's tied. Like the, yeah. you have there, there's there's a certain degree of familiarity that you have to have with that tradition to understand what that means. Right. Yeah, and I don't know if it's like Shinto priest or something otherwise. Right. Oh my gosh, that like would be he's... so crazy. Well, and considering how Shintoism actually falls into, mm-hmm. I I'm not going to start this. <laughs> you and I, will, uh-huh. you and I yeah. will go down Just, that I'll tangent yeah. bad. <laughs> I will so, I will stop myself there. Green, take four. it away. Home uh, four. Home four. You see you see also ghosts kind of get snippy with him at the end. And yeah. he respond like he actually has some heat behind behind him. Cause he says, uh, so Yudson dies. Uh after which or during which Drifter makes a few really kind of really telling comments. He says, mm-hmm. Do you see how he never gives up? Because he knows this one life is all he has. No fear. Those risen out there, they'd be long dead if they were him. All they know is war. This man survives. Um, and then he says, uh, so then Yudson dies because he basically, he's been, he, he's wounded. Uh, you also get the drifter using uh, solar light to heal his wound, which was a very, uh, very interesting um, it's the only time we necessarily see him use his powers in right, some which, way. Which then, well, yeah, well, other than resurrection, uh, he doesn't, yeah. he never uses his powers, really. Um, and then he goes on, he says, you wanted me to save him? Even if this works, he could never show me how to live. Not like not like he lives, and that's on you. And this is yeah. him talking to his ghost. So he's he's directly telling his ghost, like, he's like, no, this, my my inability to understand the existence that this person is able to enjoy that's because of what you did to me um and then so then again ghost makes adjustments to his orbiting armor he scans the village uh you know they there are no or he's he's looking to see if there's any other risen um and then ghost ghost makes the comment that maybe you should have told him you were bringing livestock in for a hundred leagues away and releasing them for him to catch. So you find out that Germain is actually the reason that Yudson was lauded, lauded lauded as a successful hunter. It wasn't because Yudson was super power like super good at hunting. It was because Germain was going out of his way. And I, I now I have this like image of ghost transmatting cows. Um <laughs> back to the area for him to catch and bring to home. So he was actually supplying this village by proxy, basically. Um, I mean, just like all the guns we hold, where does Ghost put that stuff? <laughs> Anyways. Does, does, he, does, he put, does he put the cow in an engram and then unravel the engram back in the picture. area? No, I have that picture in my head. It's a moogram. Uh, 
It's a moogram? Yeah, it's a moogram. I hate you. It's almost like a moogle, but it's a moogram. Anyways. Anyways. Come on. Come on. He he goes, you know, and and so Ghost kind of like, you know, maybe you should have told him. And then Drifter's like, did you see how happy he was? How happy they all were? They got to eat. Give someone something to chase and you give them purpose. Which is, I, I think that's amazing. Like, also amazingly insightful. Oh, no, no, you're, but yeah. it's insightful for both his his own way and also how aware he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ghost challenges him again and says, you're pathetic. This is what you aspire to be, a perennial liar who plays house with refugees? These people are dead because of us. Um, and he goes on to say, you could be so much more. Let me show you how powerful your light can become. To which Drifter just basically ignores him. Um, and then he flips off the Traveler, which is yep, which is amazing. And this is also where you start seeing the coldness of Drifter. Because he says, you know, at the very, the very last line of this entry is he's looking at the Traveler after he's flipped it off. And he says, how you living, he said, and gave a smile to the heavens that ended at his eyes. So, I mean, it's, it's again, like... He, I, I get the sense of like that that mythological hero or whatever, but it, the mythological tragical hero who is more than what he is. It, it reminds me a lot, like so. I'm I'm reading the Odyssey with my son, and you know Odysseus throughout the whole thing, he's described as this you know very next to godly character, but he's constantly mm-hmm. having to blend in. He's constantly having to use his intellect, you know, to, to survive the trials and tribulations of the decade long journey, blah, blah, blah. And this is like, this is really what it reminds me of because the entire time, if you read it from Odysseus's standpoint, Odysseus is, is, is so much more than what he's pretending to be, but he has to pretend to be it in order to survive the trial. And in a way, he's he's having to integrate himself into something that he is innately not a part of, and he will never be a part of. And it's that it's that conflict, that internal conflict, that's always that to me at least has always proven to be very interesting, because it creates yeah. this friction, and it's it's a story, it's a it's a psychological, it's a it's a narrative friction that really you know that's where you see a lot of really cool character development and i think that's where we see in this particularly i think this is where you see a lot of growth for germain who then becomes wu ming who then will become the drifter you know or dredgen you know all the all eli. the titles all the title eli all the titles that he holds or names that he holds he's the uh, the entire thing is about him trying to find. I mean, ultimately, it's just like everyone else. He's trying to find a place that he can fit in. The problem is, is like the his his natural, you know, quote unquote, natural place is up on a pedestal, and he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be on the ground with everyone else, and it's like this weird juxtaposition of like you know where where he belongs is not necessarily what he wants to be which is a very classical trope for a lot of uh heroic tales and tragic tales too um you know i'm thinking like you know, again odysseus you got you know orpheus uh you have oedipus oedipus rex was a huge thing that, um once you get past like the whole self-fulfilling prophecy ultimately too part of that is because he's trying to prevent things uh agamemnon from uh, uh Scepoles, you know there, there's a lot of different 
myths from the Greeks, especially that this is exactly what's happening is they, they don't want to be where they are, but they need to be where they are in order for them to kind of further their own story. Uh, and so I, I, I just, I see a lot of that kind of very, very kind of interesting, uh, connections with the drifter within the germain arc and even so even moving into uh, loose ends which is the next the next entry uh loose ends is the introduction of the Wu Ming arc and i think uh is it beard are you taking that one beard's uh, got the first one on it first one on that one so yeah mm-hmm. which so by the way this is my favorite arc of all of this yeah i'm gonna say i think for uh I think for a good majority of reasons, this actually turns into my favorite arc of almost the entirety of this, uh, uh, not just this book, but this uh, annual pass, I think, so far, to be honest. Uh, it starts, though, by saying, I never forgive and I never forget. I live a hard life, sister, a dark age drifter. Question is, of course, who he's referring to, but considering who else he may be able to talk to with time. Uh, who we kind of see uh, over the course of either this entry or the next or the next, uh, or even with some of the others involving Drifter. It could be any number of people at that point. Uh, it could be Ephrodite for all we know. Um, but that being said, we get into this first uh, entry, and this is now a man named Wu Ming. Uh, he runs a bar, and at this bar, uh, which is at the foot of Fellwinter Peak, uh, he basically runs it without the uh, acceptance of the Iron Lords, and he doesn't really care necessarily who comes to visit, uh, ghost or not, but he kind of prefers the non-ghost customers. Uh, that being said, apparently the Warlords have kind of moved back into the area of the uh, of the Iron Lords of Felwinter Peak, uh, and what we kind of see is... Uh, him not exactly being too happy about the fact that they're there, <laughs> but he still welcomes them in. Uh, but there's a 5530 unit that uh, <laughs> greets these three figures at the door uh, that says, Welcome to the end of the world, which is what he names his bar, uh, which I find is almost like a callback to maybe like World's End with Simon Pegg and whatnot, uh, oh, but probably God. not. Oh, uh, <laughs> But anyway, I headcanon and whatnot, of course, at, at this point. Um, no shots have been fired and whatnot for, like, the the uh, possible, like, warlords coming back in. But this is the first time that we sort of uh, see these guys show up. Uh, and if you pick up on it, Blue mentioned at the end of Home Part 4 that Drifter had a smile that went from, uh, that ended as, at his eyes. Well... Woos asks these guests, what can I get you, given a smile that ended at his eyes? So if you're paying attention, you can pretty well already pick up on the fact that Wu Ming is the drifter. We mm-hmm. also kind of already realized this because Wu Ming is also uh, said to be the drifter from a couple other entries. If you, dependent, like, of course, what order you read the books in or what order you read some of the entries in. Uh, but being that this is one of the last books that are kind of available to us. I'd figure you'd probably already have that knowledge under your belt if you've been following along up till now. Uh, but again, Wu Ming has a smile that ends at his eyes. It's the Drifter. Uh, he He's basically hulked over by these uh, three warlords, and they say, Give us all your food. <laughs> now. 
It's always like, about food. <laughs> yeah, it's always about food. And Wu says, sure, that'll be, well, a lot of glimmer. You don't understand, the giant man <laughs> said, grabbing Wu by the lapels of his storm coat. Give us everything you have in the back or we'll gut you and eat you alive. Uh, from here, we have uh, one of my favorite entries for anybody walking in the door. We have a certain Iron Lady that Yay! pops up through the door. Everybody. And she says, hey, Saitan, which we know this name from a couple years back at this point. Pick on someone your own size. <laughs> the the irony part. of this. I love it. The Everybody. irony of this is not only the fact that this would mean that the Drifter is kind of a small dude for being a guardian, but it's also the fact that we know that Ephrodite's is also kind of tiny. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Uh, but yeah, she she calls him out, uh, and Wu Ming's just like, I'm not feeling this. I, I don't like this whatsoever. Embrace the duck. He braces himself. <laughs> he ducks under the bar. He's like, forget it. I am out. You guys do what you need to. And that's it. Funny enough, we know about this lead up already. Uh, Drifter's already commented on the fact that, man, I haven't seen a firefight like that since I saw Lady Ephrodite walk in and break up my bar. <laughs> and that was like one of his more popular lines that you can get now and again after you're done with, uh, with Gambit, I believe. That's when he kind of says that one. Uh, but just the, the absurdity of some of the stuff that's going on here, like, Food gets brought up again. You got Lady Ephrodite walking in, going, pick on someone your own size. You're just like, Effie, you want to you wanna not? Because that's just a no. Uh, you've got you've got Drifter that's just like, I'm still staying out of this. Like, this is just, nope, I'm not doing this. Uh, and also the fact that uh, Drifter ran a pretty popular bar, or at least like off and on popular bar. Uh, and he did it all in spite of the Iron Lords telling him no. <laughs> but he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that that just sounds that that sounds off mounds for the drifter and how he's just like, yo, I don't give a what you're gonna tell me. I'm gonna do it anyway. Yep. <laughs> they had never given him permission. He had never asked. <laughs> yep. But that is at least all I've got for that one. I that's it, it's more of like a setup piece. You it know, is. We were we were like really involved with the last few because they mean so much for the character as the drifter i feel like loose ends is like the the joke that's leading to a punchline oh and it is punchline. i mean the punchline which i mean god it's the best pickup line i have ever seen oh yeah that one too that that well, is, we're not we're not there yet. We get I that blue so, sense too. I, I know that's which we're almost there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm done. If you want to go, oh my god! So she does. She does. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, the whole thing with Drifter in loose ends is Drifter has set up this whole thing. You find. Oh yeah, that's find, amazing how he like, does that. Everything yeah. has been found. You, I think you find out in this one yeah, that he he's does. literally set up for Ephrodite to come in while he knows Saitan's going to be in there trying to collect on whatever <sighs> Saitan is trying to collect on. But uh, Ephrodite, of course, comes in kind of hero in her own way without just being 
heroic. She's just snarky. End of the world. End of the world is Wolf's territory. So she's basically staking her claim over it, even though technically he's not supposed to have the bar. But they're going to take care of him. Mm-hmm. And so is the entire. And so she's that, just taking claim of it. What's up? Beer? Well, that also kind of goes along with what we find a little bit more like uh, cemented with and i'll, I'll kind of jump ahead a little bit with the iron decree like that's just at least in like what the iron lords are supposed to do in a lot of rights uh it's something i i kind of focused on in my recent video a little bit like we at least to my knowledge don't have like understanding of like if the iron lords started the settlement of the city so to speak but one way or another the residents of the city and the iron lords kind of had very similar uh, ideals in mind so they kind of like worked together in that mm-hmm. respect uh that's where you know o- overall it's basically he drifter knows that if he can get away with it he's gonna do it um oh shoot something we didn't cover actually in uh home part four mm-hmm. how how uh drifter is able to like change his posture as much as he does like he he blends in he like slumps over and whatnot uh he he tries to like blend in with the way that they kind of all uh sort of act and handle themselves oh uh, yeah think, that's uh, that's also in the allegiance quest mm-hmm. yeah well and it's also at the uh at the the uh one of the warlock uh honor book You're right yeah 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 that's the um, where he's he's pretending to be an older yeah individual and, yeah and i love that one throughout that opening it actually says how like he changes his gait his posture mm-hmm. everything uh, and, just so he can attempt to like blend into everything changes and actually he does look. that with the uh, narrative previews as well when he sneaks yeah, he into the research and also <laughs> the sneaks into the consensus meeting right yeah there's there's all these like little uh, uh, and and uh actually it involves himself with honor's work by putting on an obsidian mind helmet, which immediately makes me think that he actually is a warlock. But anyway, um, like these, these couple pieces that kind of like, uh, are, are, I think integral to point out about like how he does this. He has the iron Lords fooled into thinking he's not a guardian or not mm-hmm. a risen rather mm-hmm. in that respect. Uh, and I think that that that's important to point out that he's, got them fooled enough that they're willing to kind of honor and protect him uh thinking that he is just a a regular human being well the other Uh, thing on top of this is that he's not the only one committing deceptions right well and that yeah that gets called out too absolutely are you talking about dryden i was actually talking about even with aphrodite Mm. within this one because um in lucens 2 the line where underneath the helm, Saitan's eyes flickered from the Iron Lady to his warlord ally's position behind her. The flanking warlord raised a massive hand cannon and thundered a bullet. There's like dashes directly into Saitan's chest. So mm-hmm. it's it makes it sound like Saitan's allies were not actually his allies after all, and were citing more so on Ephrodite's side. Now, granted, Ephrodite basically puts them all down oh, afterwards no no see i thought i read it because she ducked you, he, sh- okay. he shoots he shoots but she drops gotcha, and drops to drops a, a knee. knee yeah she drops yeah. to a knee and he like he she basically yeah she so dodges just, she just action heroes yeah i mean which this i mean again she's being an action hero <laughs> there's that too 
Like, right. look, she's Rambo, except she does it with a hand cannon. She and doesn't an, have to and, look. Her knife. And, she's, and she's like four and a half feet tall. But... Yeah. Right. But she takes them all out. Oh, yeah, no. Which, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, yeah. I mean, being, too, that, like, the, the drifter is, is Asian, I know it means, like, nothing to, like, how all of this would be, but I... I, I really do envision that uh, Ephrodite is this angry Japanese lady. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what I think of the more that I think about how Ephrodite is. Like, I, I I know that that means nothing for, like, where they are at this point and how the Iron Lords probably came together. But that mental image in my mind, I'm like, she's this young, uh, angry little Japanese lady. Yes, absolutely. Like, she's this young little Japanese girl that's just like, I am pissed at everything. She's, she's, uh, she's Gogo in Kill Bill Volume 1. With the mace and the ball yes. and chain. Anyway, uh, carry on, I'm sorry. Now, I, now I really want Ephrodite's ghost to be named Mushu. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. But carry on, Green, carry on. Just, Sorry, Green. Just, it's okay. I'm just laughing because now I have the I, that line of that I don't do that tongue thing. <laughs> don't, don't do that tongue thing. <laughs> Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> considering oh later, I, I don't mean to jump ahead, but like when all of this is done, she has her ghost turn on music. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. It just all falls into place. Yeah. God. Okay, so like she she takes everybody out. Everybody else freezes. She basically controls the room, yells at them, tells them that they're okay to go. Oh, she does more than that. She threatens their ghosts. Oh, she does. Yeah. Which is she amazing. Does. She lets you're the free ghosts to go, go, but your risen stay, stay with, with me. me. Oh my gosh, I love that. Follow the iron decree, and you'll get them back in time. Which. Which also, also is interesting because that means that the ghosts are held to the Iron Decree as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and as a aside, it also means that uh, ghosts don't have to resurrect their guardians right away, mm-hmm. which also makes me wonder how long the light stays within them before it starts to kind of like fade out. Mm-hmm. Or if something like Thorn has to act on them in order to like drain to their light altogether. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just wonder how how much of that kind of holds true, which is also counter to like what we saw with, and I know I keep going back and forth with like honor and whatnot, but I, I think that this is kind of relevant in a way. They use like those arc straps on ghosts yes, to disable yeah. them and, and, on and keep them like held. I wonder how much of that uh, is to kind of do this same thing with like the iron degree and whatnot, just taking it to a different level, like the. The uh, the the Praxics act more like a warlock special forces or cop force than anything else. Yeah, in that regard. But uh, yeah, I, I I just wanted to at least kind of call that out. Like they're mm-hmm. they're they're trying to work on these labels for for ghosts to keep them in in hand and keep them to a um, keep them to a to a to a standard. That's the word I'm looking for here. Uh, Versus some of like any uh, some of the warlords that like hold them and whatnot, uh, like like the ghosts are are 
as, as Blue had said, like held to the same standard as the decree, as I know the the mention is here in the entry as well. Uh, but also that they're just as liable for the actions of their uh, of their risen. Mm-hmm. Well, and <laughs> I, I think that's yeah, because I I think that's also just it's uh, to me that's just interesting that she tells the ghost that as long as they hold to the iron decree, they will get them back. Because right. it's like the guardians are dead, or the risen are dead. Yep. Like they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be held to an iron decree because they, they can't, you know, they can't, they can't do anything. Right. So it just to me, it, it makes. I really want to see what that iron decree is. To be honest, like I, I want, I would. I'm very wanna, curious. I'm curious what it actually involves. It, it's sort of like that in the um, what's the oh goodness green what's the the thing for the Yang Le Wei. Uh, Oh, the, the Amrita uh, Charter. The Am- yeah, the, the Charter? Amrita Charter. Yeah, yeah. That's that's another thing I would love to yes. see, like in full on on paperwork. Like we've, mm-hmm. we've got these couple different things, and I'm just like, oh my god, these back documents could explain so much. Let yeah. me right. see them, please. Right. It's okay. So it, the, that would help for certain. There's a lot of things when it comes to like the Iron Lord, and they're not just their decrees, but the establishment and the histories that go along with them. Mm-hmm. but the whole your your mention of the music being played that happens right after everybody starts filtering out Aphrodite's <laughs> goes pulls up an old hymn which is one of Scory's Lady Scory if you remember from D1 she was one of the other Iron Lords the Bard it's just like in my mind I don't know why but I've got some very particular hymns stuck in my head which are not pleasant to walk out to. It's no. more like a funeral hymn kind of yeah. thing going on. So it's oh, like, see, I oh. was I was totally hearing Hell's Bells, but you know that works too. I mean, if you call Hell's Bells a hymn, sure. Well, remember what uh, what is said on Nessus? <laughs> do, do you remember that gate that oh, was in with the Vex? Yeah. yeah, and it's like they're playing ancient Golden Age music. <laughs> At least they yeah. have good taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I also remember Failsafe trying to sing an aria, so, you know, there's that. Mm. Asher loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Good. Failsafe, you're projecting on all channels. <laughs> I <Stop> know! <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know why Failsafe turned into Claptrap, but it works. I mean, if Failsafe's personality is merged, wouldn't you think we get Claptrap? Yep. Clap mm-hmm. trap out of it. And open. And open. Uh, so this is going okay, so do we can we just read the pickup line starting <laughs> where Green Green just really wants I really, everyone I really, to appreciate I really, this pickup just, line. <laughs> it's just so stinking clever. Yeah. Um, can we start where is where Everett says, Is this why you asked me here? Uh we can. I'm just seeing if um felt like there was one thing before we got there i don't know uh, why. this was you had mentioned that uh drifter had set everything up because he right. pays yeah. he pays effort uh-huh right. this is yeah and that's what this will start with it kind of goes down a little ways because technically the pickup line is towards the bottom but probably i'll i'll be uh i'll be drifter again okay if uh blue wants to be our narrator this time oh then you you mean you want me to read the girl part yay why not i mean <laughs> Yay! It makes sense. I'm not. There's why. Why would I not do this? Anyway, 
typecasting. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, what, I'd, this love isn't to, Shakespeare I'd love to Shakespeare. I'd love to hear Blue Reed Epperdy. That would be interesting. No, I mean, we could we could go along with it. That's it's, fine. It's okay. I got this. But I'm just saying, I got, got somebody that fits the part. I mean, as well. Yeah, the short one in the back. Uh, <laughs> is this why you asked me here? Efferdeet said, holstering her weapon. You said you had some business that paid. I did. You just finished it. He responded, reaching out with a fistful of glimmer. The Iron Lady stared down at it, gawking beneath her helmet. Who the hell pays you? I have, Mean. Wu Ming said, chuckling. Stick with me, sister. I'll make you rich. I promise. She eagerly took the sapphire cubes out of his hand. Glimmer represented pure material potential. You didn't bring Felwinter, Wu said. She eyed him. I told you he never comes down from the peak unless it's official Iron Lord business. What do you need from him? Hey, what are you doing later? Wu asked suddenly. Hunting Fallen? They're becoming a problem at Boyle's Pass. We'll be at it till dusk. Ephrodite said, lifting the helmet just above her mouth to grab a drink from behind the counter and swallow an entire mug of the malt Wu served. She belched and asked, Care to join us? Her smile just beneath the helm was all teeth. Wu chuckled. <laughs> nah, a mere mortal at a risen fight. I just get in the way. He thought for a second. Would you like to dance before you go? Nah. She said, imitating his tone. The helm came down. <laughs> the helm came down. <laughs> he cocked his head over the music and then leaned in to ask. Wait, what did you think I said? Would you like to dance before you go? She repeated. I would love to. <laughs> he said, stepping forward, arms wide. <laughs> Best pickup line ever. I just love the uh, fact that her helmet stayed on, too. Yeah, uh, mostly. I feel like you need to finish this because the okay. ending is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, She sighed. Yeah, she sidestepped him and kicked his leg out from under him. He went tumbling to the ground and someone spilled their drink on him. I had to try. He called from the floor, watching her go. The plume of her helmet rose above the crowd and was already halfway out the door. Take the bodies! <laughs> he yelled still on the ground. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that whole interaction. <laughs> Take the <is> bodies! <laughs> Take the <laughs> bodies! <laughs> oh, gosh. I... Uh... I know people are like, ah, oh, Drifter's got such a bad rap. I freaking love Drifter more and more because of this book. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, again, I think, I think Beards might have been the one that said it, but this, this book really does humanize him. I mean, oh, and, yeah. we, and we see this a lot with a lot of the lore entries, right? Like with all the characters, you saw that with Aldrin, with his, with his particular entries, uh, Orin with Ecdysis and Dust and all that. I mean, it just seems like they're, they're really, you know, we've kind of mentioned this too. Destiny One was more about the world building, and this is more about the relationships within the world. And mm -hmm. so, I, I think we see, or I think we're seeing a lot more of that. And I, I really like that. That part, this part of the world building process, is what's the fun part. Well, take Ada One as I think the primest of examples in that regard, where the way that Ada is portrayed mm, early mm -hmm. on for us, how she hates guardians how she's not very open and so on and now a layer of that armor that she has had has started to really fall down how her perspective has changed with time 
she is the perfect epitome piece of showing how perspective can change a person and how we can also garner a different perspective for like how we handled ourselves and what we did previously because we were not kind to the black armory or no. anybody within it mm-hmm. and that is why ada one is the way she is and now it is in a lot of rights thanks to what spider has done our job to start to make amends for what we did even if it is one guardian going out and trying to make that difference because what we now know even if it is black market or underneath the uh the purview of what the vanguard has been doing or what the consensus has been doing if ada can once again bring back weapons in that respect for Mm -hmm. civilians that's incredibly important to the cause of what we've been doing with the city as a whole and for us on our perspective piece we can see it as we're getting loot out of it as well but we've now just helped the city in a way that the city didn't even realize it needed it or understood where some of the pieces of technology even came from. That is why Ada is like the... I, I love that they led with Black Armory because right. the rest of it as we are going along is offering this different perspective pieces as we as we need it to kind of have them. And I'm going to be the first to say it. I can't wait to see how they're going to make me like Callus. Because mm-hmm. as we all know, I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. We have one more card. That's the best one. But we we missed it. He Did takes we? Three I come, hours. To I come climb in peace, peak. brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Three hours to climb the the mountain top. Yeah. To let me let winter. me take this pill because this is important. Actually, there is an exo with glowing eyes, <laughs> and it released. Whatever weapon it was reaching for inside its great coat, when Wu Ming approached with his hands held high, I come in peace, brother. Now who could that be? <laughs> and now, and now, Beard is is excited where Green was excited. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. oh, it's like I mm-hmm. I want to sit here and cover it and and take it from Blue entirely. Go for cause... it. Go for it. It's All just... right. <laughs> So we end up getting into uh, the best Iron Lord period. Uh, there is nobody that goes above this man whatsoever. I He's mean, fellow. no, this is, this is objective. This is we're not subjective. We're have at least. No, we're, this is not subjective opinion. This is objective fact. This, this is man subjective. is, this is, this is the best Iron Lord out of all He's of them. turning into, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Oh my god, your impressions tonight are so on point. Warlock bias. I'm thinking Black Blast from the Past. Uh huh. (laughs) Black Flag and Jet. Warlock bias. Warlock bias. Uh bias. (laughs) (laughs) So, without further ado, the Dark Horse of Lord Thelwinter. This is who uh, Wu Ming, or Drifter, is looking to come in contact with. And apparently it has been for a while. For a long time. Uh, so much so that at least Lady Aphrodite was interested in coming down to uh, mm-hmm. the end of the world bar. Uh, but he basically said, forget it. Like, it's not official business. I don't care. <laughs> and that actually carries into his character as we go along, which is fairly important. Um, what I do find interesting, though, and I kind of have this written down, 
Um, I'll kind of just start from the top, actually. Uh, Lord Felwinter sat at one end of the table, Wu Ming at the other. Felwinter is very matter-of-fact. He wants to know what Wu Ming wants to visit the, uh, in visiting the peak. Um, he has a, a very needed point in trying to, like, meet with Felwinter. Like, uh, what do you want? Uh, I heard you kill. A necessity of life in this post-collapse existence. No, I'm talking risen. Final deaths. It's gotten real taboo recently. You Iron Lords are changing things. And at this point, of course, we end up thinking about uh, what was brought up previously with the uh, Iron Edict. And or the how yeah, Iron Decree. Iron Decree, Iron Edict. Yeah, I, I wrote it as Edict. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, either way, the... Decree, however, at least is sort of explained in this entry, but you have to dig into it pretty far. Uh, don't kill other Risen, don't kill their ghosts, turn warlords, don't end them, and never involve the innocent. The last one, at least, is the most important as we kind of go along. Um, Felwinter effectively asks him, like, who are you? What, what are you doing here? What's the point of you even being here? Um... And he says, "Well, I'm I'm just your neighbor. I just live right down down the down the mountain." Uh, I just want some sugar. Just, yeah. <laughs> God. Got a, got a cup of sugar to spare? Golf. Yeah. Okay. Housekeeping. Anyway. Housekeeping. Uh, but Wu Ming uh, basically is like trying his best to like keep all of this off and so on. Um, and he says, uh, who are you? Uh, Fel Winter says, who are you? I don't believe you've been honest with me. Uh, and eventually Wu Ming gives up uh, the ghost, literally. Uh, and he has his ghost materialize. And of course, we figure out entirely that Wu Ming is Drifter, if you didn't figure it out earlier on. Fel um, Winter says, is this supposed to impress me? How else would you have survived the climb? Because uh, don't forget, Fel Winter Peak is kind of cold, kind of chilly. And it's sort of big. Well, uh, the other thing, I mean, before you get there, it's just like yeah. you get another instance of Drifter not letting his ghost heal him. Right. I gotta say, <laughs> he, he wants to do it all on his own if need be, but uh, apparently he isn't even good enough for that. <laughs> um, but that's the major piece that you sort of start to, uh, to, to, to sort of realize here with Drifter. Like, he's going to Felwinter because he doesn't feel like a... At least I feel like he doesn't have anybody else that would really understand this mm -hmm. or get it. Uh, and that's why I think that Felwinter is the reason that he would even, like, want to be around the Iron Lords at this point. Because as we know, he doesn't want to be around anybody. He very well would have been okay with just being on his own. But he wanted to involve this Lord of Iron for a very large reason. Uh, and it kind of all starts, yeah, here. Uh, Felwinter says, As a warlord, I did many things I'm not proud of. Under the Iron Lords, I adhere to strict rules of engagement, Felwinter said. His voice sounded hollow inside his armored skin. Ghosts are not valid targets. Drifter says, I heard you care very much about right and wrong, and the delivery of justice to those who deserve it. Felwinter's eyes glowed brightly. Brighter. Brighter. Yeah. You have my I interest. <laughs> you you had my curiosity. Now you have <laughs> <Yeah>. my attention. 
Bellwinter says, I can't think of a more human act, he said after a moment's pause. I don't know that anyone has a right to that, but I believe in revenge with all my heart, and I have a request, knowing that you do what you do. Bellwinter tapped his chin. What are you asking? Mm. I'm going to sum this up because it is a rather long paragraph, but long story short, Drifter goes over the events of um, Eaton, of what had happened in Eaton. And he goes over uh, Dryden's involvement and everything like that. Uh, the last couple sentences, though, in the intervening years, Wu had learned that Dryden kept his, uh, kept this under wraps and that he and his ghost were now among the most decorated of lords, next to the likes of rising champions like Lord Saladin and Lady Ephrodite themselves. Bellwinter sat frozen in his chair. It was difficult to tell if he had registered any of what Wu Ming had said. How do I know you're not lying? The hollow voice asked finally. I have live recordings, Wu replied. His ghost transmitted a data feed to Felwinter's ghost, who nodded. So, actually, it isn't much longer. I'll just read the rest of this. Mm-hmm. Eaton, who were those people to you? Nothing. Just ghosts. You want revenge for people you care nothing about. Is a dark horse of iron for hire? Felwinter stood and politely motioned for Wu Ming to take his lead. Wu sighed, shrugged, and left the chamber. He had a long climb ahead of him. Yexo parted his coat and drew a long, bronze shotgun from his side. What do you think? his ghost asked. Call Lord Dryden. Prepare my iron banner arsenal. <laughs> Someone's in trouble! <laughs> yeah, kind of final death sort of trouble. Mm-hmm. Now... What is also fairly, at least to me, interesting about all of this is that this is the lead up to when uh, he and Saiten have their uh, showdown. Saitan have their showdown mm-hmm. because Saitan is still alive, and apparently his ghost ends up getting his body back at one point, and so on. Uh, but that's the the other piece that I think is fairly interesting here. Like this seems like a shifting point for Felwinter. Yep. to fall back to some of his older ways. And he also starts to deal with something that I think is uh, fairly important for both Drifter and then Felwinter as a whole. Uh, he starts really dealing with this idea of justice. He starts taking it among himself to go ahead and end uh, a fair majority of, um, like, any of the Guardian, uh, any of the Risen that really step out of line, be it Iron Lords or Warlords. Uh, and he starts to really, like, take judge, jury, and executioner upon himself. Meanwhile, if we look at that same instance for the Drifter, I think this is one of the reasons why the Nine approach him. Mm-hmm. I really feel like this is the connecting piece on, like, why the Nine overall are looking into why Drifter is such an important character within our system. Overall, he understands the the ideas of justice and no mercy and so on, if need be, if it needs to apply to those that are uh, within the vicinity or within those rights and laws and so on. And it's that piece that kind of like, it's it's want exactly... want to understand him. Right. And that's something that I think uh, also falls in line with the Emissary. Because the Emissary mm-hmm. wars with Orin, that is something else that also kind of like falls back onto like who she was as a person as well, as a as a guardian especially. Uh, so these are a few pieces that I think overall sort of tie back to why the Nine want to interact with uh, the the three main ones that we kind of see. And those three main ones are Orin, Drifter, and ourselves. 
we're pretty well the three mains that kind of go into it with the one outlier then also ending up being uh the uh the queen who of course mm -hmm. is kind of off doing her own general thing uh but this also lies into one fifth and final and that could possibly be callus what is his involvement with so many of these pieces so there are three from our order so to speak that are easily uh interacted with with the nine and then we have Callus and Mara as kind of like the uh, offshoots of how all of that sort of sits with the nine. Well, and you uh, also have, that, you also have Zer. Yeah, I don't necessarily care or, or count him necessarily. That's because true. He's with the nine, but yeah, you're you're right on that regard. Uh, I, I count Orin differently than Zer, just to to kind of expand that a little bit more, only because like she was a guardian previously. She has that like difference in how she was. Mm -hmm. uh, Jura seems like he's been a puppet the entire time. That's just kind of like how things seem to be in that regard. All of a sudden, Jura's origin story pops up, and he was secretly like Clovis Bray Jr. or something. I don't know. Um, the one thing though that uh, going back actually to this rather long paragraph, uh, Blue, you would mentioned about the the combat and how things kind of went i think it's in here uh da, da, da. oh about like why like uh why sagoth i think is already dead at this point uh and how i think most of the combat kind of falls or falls on um but the warlord target had uh brought a fire team oh yeah yeah dryden, dryden that's how dryden made a name for himself was yeah, he went he 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 made he later actually managed to hunt down the red man uh right. and kill him which you know i think uh dino and chat made a comment earlier too about we to be fair we don't know how we know that sigoth was killed but we don't know how well like, i think that's actually where some of this came in because they said though Wu later learned that dryden won the battle he lost every lord under his command, ghosts and all, and he committed the additional sin of inflicting final deaths on the warlords he defeated in mm -hmm. an act of bloodlust and rage. So for me, that's where I think it was ended, and where I think that uh, Sagath's uh, final stand basically was. In that right, right. But that's what I mean is like that would also yeah. be tying into explaining uh, Sagath's role in the whole being the red man because if right. Dryden enacted revenge on Sagoth you know however that works um then that you know it's again it's just Dryden is a charlatan and mm -hmm. uh and I, I I get the feeling too that uh Drifter doesn't really even care that he's lying it's it's the it's again the connection to Eaton it's yeah. like he's, he's like I don't because I mean, there's plenty of things that He's like, I don't care about that, but it's it's because of because of you, because of you know the the whole um, treatment of the people that he had chosen to try to be part of. Um, you know, I just I I really see that as being the actual catalyst for his wanting revenge, and it seems oh, yeah. like it's pretty overt. At least to me, it yeah. seems pretty overt. No, I I completely agree with that entirely. I, it was more just to like call it up and be like this. This by the end of the day, Dryden was the only one that left that field as far as Dryden knew. Like there were no survivors at that point, and right, and he so got the, away scot free. Right. I mean, kind of. We, we he's not the only character that's done that either. I mean, right. You know, to be to be 
bluntly fair, Shin does the same thing. Yep. Well, and I think that's why Dryden has a a mark in terms of like a weapon, but why, even though he ended up handling himself in the way that he did, did was he ever like renowned as an Iron Lord? Or yeah, and I'm trying was to remember. Given the chance, I'm trying to remember because he has what his because I, I it was a shotgun. Search. Was it a shotgun? Okay. Yeah, it because I know it was Tormund. Tormund has the bellows, which has always been kind of like I always picture that right. one as being the wrathful. Right. Yeah. His his was. Which I find ironic because at that point it's basically dueling shotguns <laughs> because you've got <laughs> Felwinter and you've got Dryden and they both kind of stand in the same general vicinity. Like this is the other question though that kind of falls in line and this is kind of like um, to the side of uh, what we're talking about here with Drifter more with Felwinter. Did he ever tell the Iron Lords what he did? Right, did and that's I think chat was what he think did? chat was mentioning Felwinter's lie. Yep, I gotta say like the. The lies kind of pile up with Felwinter. We mm-hmm. we see it with like uh, Winter's Fel, Guile. Uh, Winter's Guile. Yeah, I was going to say Felwinter's Guile, but I was half right. Um, <laughs> the the way that those uh, that entry goes, you could easily tailor that to be like he's he's Clovis Bray, or he's like one of the Bray kids, uh, or he he's somebody that's like very much in line with um, with how Willa was and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it was just like a, a another that was in line with it all. It, either way, like he has knowledge of like how uh, the the Deepstone Crypt and stuff like that worked out and so on. That's why he was such an excellent exo to like look into. And I have a feeling it's not the last tale we're going to hear of him. Oh yeah, I like hope I not. really, I really have this feeling like if he ever wrote something down. We're going to recover a journal from him. We're going to recover something else from him. Just anything that would give more understanding of like why he was the way he was. And I think it would be accepted at this point because of like where we're at in the city's age and like how everything is kind of going. The The Dark Ages as a whole, which also kind of falls back to like how the Drifter is uh, in uh, how he's presented and everything. The Dark Ages very much mimic our Dark Ages, as we know, from mm-hmm. like the 500s to 1500s, etc. Um, that's a very deep-seated spot where a lot of information was either kept under wraps, was looked at as like uh, either hedonistic or heretical or anything. Or just flat-out lost. Yeah, like you were just, if you did anything different, you were really out of line, which makes me wonder like how much, uh, how much time, uh, something like, or somebody like Osiris was given like the time of day early on with his like crazy thoughts and whatnot and how he was sort of turning himself. Um, but that's where I, I have this feeling that like, if we were to walk into today's, uh, instance where we look at Ikora writing up uh, in, I, I think it's uh, in in the the secrets, the the Bay oh Lord yeah secrets yeah book. the uh, circle um, book. Yeah, uh, she she's uh, or not the the circles the friggin' stolen intelligence. There it is. Good grief. Mm, mm-hmm. um, how she looks back on the drifter and states how we need to not be. Uh, so overt or so challenging to different beliefs or whatnot that are within the city. 
We have to be more open to the understandings that are here. We need to not cast them out right away. Uh, and this is something that you would not hear from a speaker, like the, the speaker from mm-hmm. a speaker-ran city. Within two, uh, actually, yeah, within about two years, a year and a half to two years, the general views of the city and its leadership have changed almost instantaneously. And in some cases, I guess it kind of like started to falter with the speaker a little bit. He mm-hmm. was viewed more as like a figurehead, etc. But like that's how that that's where like the church's role as the Dark Ages ended. And within the City Age now, we've moved into this Renaissance period or this new Golden Age, where now we are discovering different elements and different. Uh, different matters of being uh, different different places and ideals and thoughts, etc., that we wouldn't have welcomed previously through the possibly thousand years worth uh, that the Dark Ages lasted. Right. And I mean, I guess my, my, my counterpoint to that, too, is just from a historical standpoint as well, you know, it wasn't necessarily all the church or a religious order you know, imposing sanctions on stuff like that too. I mean, a large, a large part of the the uh, damage that I mean, was the done. Monarchy during, had a lot. Yeah, to do it was with like that. Was, there. Well, that and the sea people who were constantly screwing <laughs> things up. Um, but like, I mean, that's where you see actually in in a lot of cases you see in especially in Ireland, which is where predominantly a lot of the culture was saved. It was because yeah. of the monasteries and because of the church that we even have records and we even still can read on on some on some degrees is because they were bastions of education uh, as well. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I think I think also it t- it speaks a lot more, uh, you know, in that regard for me, it speaks more to the philosophies of the vanguard versus the philosophy of the speaker. And you see that with uh, you see that with Ikora and Zavala's basically they they fully acknowledge they are not politicians. You know, when they when they made that claim, I was like, yeah, you know, that's where I mean, because Ikora as a researcher is Mm -hmm. obviously going to be more in line with like Tyra and, you know, the cryptarchy is in in, and that, of course, is scientific method. Like the more information you can gather, the better the picture you're going to get, you know, yada, yada, yada. Whereas with a politician like the speaker was, and you know, and, and, the, and not to say that I, I know it's a thin line, but it is a necessary thing when it comes to leading a large group of people. Um, but at the same time, that's also you you have to acknowledge the darker side as well. And the darker side is sadly that means that sometimes you get censorship. Um, is the gentlest word that I could probably use for what that is. Um, yeah, that's the nicest way to put yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and, and the reason, and and there's there's always like there's always at first a noble cause, you know. Yeah, and and everyone knows that's a slippery slope. Like, I mean, yeah. historically we've all seen that across, even in reality, we see that a lot. Um, but I, I that's how I read it as more of a transition from you don't have a politician in control. You have a you have a person or you're a group of people who are much more pragmatic about, you know, Zavala doesn't care about the niceties of politics. He cares about protecting people. I mean, you see that with the Cade situation. He's like, I don't care. We're not doing it. He doesn't care what feathers he ruffles. 
Um, whereas Ikora with the uh, stolen intelligence, I, I mean, to be fair, Ikora is the one that talks Zavala down about punishing Anor, about stealing the stuff once he finds out. Uh, you know, so like, and, and her entire point was that, you know, they are not babysitters. They're not, that's not their job. So I think that's also important too. And you see that a little bit, you know, and I, I go to go back to what we're talking about with like the drifter and stuff like that. I think that's another thing that you kind of see is like green. I think you mentioned it during the allegiance quest. He, he kind of, he doesn't babysit us. You know, he, he's no. like, he's, this is your choice. You have to live with the consequences of it. Um, you know, whatever those consequences are. Cause I know like <clears throat> if, if you choose the Vanguard side, he doesn't necessarily like, I mean, he's not necessarily happy. Like a snitch. Yeah. He, he's not happy at you, but he doesn't like, he doesn't look down on you. I guess if that makes sense, like he respects the fact that you made a choice. He doesn't necessarily agree with it, but he's like, you know, you made a choice. That's, that's your prerogative. You, you, uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's something about like, you know, you, you chose to stand with what you saw was right. Um, he doesn't trust you, but you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh man, but yeah, so extra long episode. We might mm-hmm. have to split it into the side B side A. You guys want to do shout outs real quick? Um, beard go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So. Uh, I don't have anything off the top of my head that I'm thinking of outside of just like the, uh, I've been retweeting so many of them. I, I feel like when I'm able to get on Twitter, which is, I could be on there a lot more. I choose not to be. There might be some mental reasons as to why I don't do that. It's just a good reason. Saying. It's a good. Yeah. It makes I sense. I really think so. Considering I've seen more support in YouTube comments lately than I have seen on that site. Yeah, I think so. Um, the biggest thing, though, that I love about Twitter, all the same, is that there are some outstanding people that are on that platform uh, that don't go on a, reti- uh, a rhetoric or a narrative that they go ahead and talk about. Anyway, I've heard artists... I have loved so much of the art that I've been seeing either retweeted, posted, etc. lately. Uh, not even just from like the Destiny community, mm-hmm. but just in general. It has been great to see people's talent. And it's not just like, here's, here's a couple stick figures or something like that, which by the way is still art. These people are putting in the time and energy and effort they need to in order to like create something that they see in their mind's eye. That's amazing. Uh, it is something that I still cannot do properly to this day. Uh, so I have to give like uh, you know major shout out at least to to, to Brandon or the Gamma Trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mm-hmm. continues to make some amazing pieces. He continues to work like day in day out. Uh, and on top of that, goodness, excuse me. On top of that, uh, he continues to do it for both uh, Mylan and himself because it used to be that he was just helping Mylan for the channel and so on. Uh, but he's been doing it for more reasons than just that anymore, and it's to actually grow as an artist. And he is. Which, not to say that he wasn't doing that previously, but he's doing such a fantastic job of that. Um, and then I see stuff from, like, Brian Monkis. Uh I see some other stuff from, uh, as always, friend on the show, Jake Myler. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's always doing such great work with, like, his uh, his comic booky, cartoony, etc. style that he has that I think is just fantastic. Uh, but just artists in general. And then also to those that just don't 
stop trying as much as they can. Uh, or if they end up getting some type of rejection or they st uh, end up like pushing, uh, getting some, uh, something pushed in their face to say, you can't do this anymore. There's no way you could ever do it. They try to turn that energy into something else. It's something that I uh, had have and still do struggle with like on a daily basis. Uh, it was the reason I ended up starting my YouTube channel at the very least, but to see other people that are embracing how, you know, when life gives you lemons, you, you find a new life or something. No, you, you know, throw these, it back at them. You say, you don't, I don't yeah. want your lemons. Yeah. And that's, that's basically what all of these people are doing. Like they're, they're just like, well, these look good. I'm going to turn them into lemonade. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they either like look at the rotten ones and they're like, what are you, what are you giving me this for? Like, get out of here. Or they, they look at the ripe stuff and they're like, yeah, I can make something out of this and it drives them to do something different. Uh, so I always want uh, people to kind of remember that, like turn your energies into something different if you can. Uh, it is it is something that is, again, still tough for me to do as somebody that was able to do it previously. It's hard to always remember what that feeling feels like because it's a fleeting one. It is such a fleeting one. Anyway, I feel like I turned this into something else. Um, but those are my shout-outs. I'll leave it there. I, I think it's important to say, to hear and to say. I mean, we I just a friend of mine went through that this week. So it's one of those things you you want to hear that. You want to see people continue. But you also want to remain supportive in whatever they choose. And yeah. some of the biggest uh, companies and biggest uh, creators out there had many, many rejections before they came up with their big idea. And their big idea wasn't necessarily the thing that they were trying to go for in the first place. My shout out, I have two. One that is more business for the show, one that is not. Uh, the one that is not is a huge shout out to Nerd and Needle. Elaine does amazing patches. We were talking about art a second ago. And I finally got in my Gambit patches. I have all four Gambit patches, the green, yellow, uh, white, and red. And they are gorgeous, as, along with the my Queensguard patch that I got and the Crimson Days patch. But she does some really good work. And like for what she's selling, these are not expensive at all. They're really, really high quality. And it's it's nice she to has, see some uh, good patches come That She made us some felt, uh, Focus Fire ones. Yeah, we have focus fire ones too, but the gambit patches are so yeah. cool. She is now. Oh she also God. just did uh, the coins, if I remember right. Yes, she was working on the coins last time I saw her tweet. I don't know if she's finished them yet, but I know she was including doing a the design. fun one. Mm -hmm. The ding is ding, it the ding. coin with yeah, yeah with the <laughs> ding 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 on it. I love that. I'm sorry, Christmas has ruined me. Anytime I sing ding 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 written out, I think of some Christmas song. It's just Christmas is. It's, anyway, that's the <laughs> that's the normal shout out. The housekeeping shout out is the T-shirt that we just put up on the store. If you guys are looking for some some swag, some Destiny swag or Focus Fire Chat swag, we have T-shirts that just got put up on Teespring for Focus Fire Chat that are mm -hmm. our 2019 design, and it's different. We went in a totally different direction than we did before. Yeah, we, we even hired a really high-priced artist to, to do um, it. 
<laughs> I'll wait for that check in the mail, Blue. I'll wait for that check. But yeah, it's those are available. It's really Blue and I kind of went back and forth talking about pricing on it. We're not going to make a lot off of it. It's more no, more they yeah. we want. It's not what we're after with this. We're not trying to sell shirts to make money. It's the wanting to give you guys something to rep, wanting to give you guys something fun and kind of different to that looks kind of cool. And it's for you guys and it's fun for us to do too and kind of put ourselves out there in a different way. So those shirts are available and I'm sure Blue's going to have a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to go and look at them and possibly purchase some. Mm-hmm. I will do that. Um, and then, yeah, just to, to reiterate, kind of just reiterate what Beard and Green have both been saying is like, you know, just keep 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 working at what you're working at. You know, it, it's it sounds sometimes like it's it's simple and I know it's not, you know, these uh, these are tough times for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. And just know that, you know, I saw a tweet going around there <clears throat> earlier, I think the last week, but just know that for for me and i i know for beard and for green i'm pretty sure i can say this too is our dms our messages are open if you need someone to chat with about something that's going on you know we're we're more than happy we're not professional you know counselors by any stretch of the imagination but we definitely can give you a give you a shoulder to lean on or an ear to talk to um mm-hmm. And I know that was that was like I said, there was a tweet that had been going around uh, last week. I think it was uh, about like you know, open up. Uh, a lot of the content creators were opening up their DMs for anybody who needs it. And so just you know, just again, just know that if that is something that you need, uh, we're more than happy to to help where we can with that. Um, but yeah, that's more more just to kind of reiterate what Green and Beard have both both already said much more eloquently. But as always, we'll see you guys next week. Next week is going to be another pretty pretty fun one. Um, it is going to be over the lore book that Beard has already miraculously finished getting. And I'm one away from getting... I don't know what you're getting, talking about. Oh my gosh, this is actually like... Screeb, I've never appreciated Screeb so much. They give you so much credit for this. But it will be for every rose a thorn. Uh, and I'm actually looking forward to discussing that with everyone but you guys have a great week and we will see you next week bye Bye. with that we'll begin to wrap the chat up thank you again to those over on twitch for coming to spend your evening with us if you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focused fire chat links to all our episode archives can also be found at www.focusfirechat.com Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all the amazing work being featured over on thelorenetwork.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.